Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. One return by Caleb Downs, and he finds the seam. He makes the punter look silly. Caleb Downs, show him what you got. Touchdown, Bama. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Second and ten. Here's Howard stepping up in the pocket. Now flush to the right. Back of the end zone. Caught for a touchdown. Ben Sinek, the fullback. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Rourke feels the heat, floats it, jump ball, reeled in for a touchdown. Will Kazmarek with a sensational high point touchdown grab. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. They flip it on end around to Bolden. Bolden gets to the edge. Touchdown, Oregon State. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. 27 yards passing so far tonight. Climbs the pocket. Now looks to run. Ward for the end zone. He's in. Touchdown, Washington State. 11 yards, and Cam Ward is second rushing score. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. And here we go on this uh, Wednesday afternoon, 24th of January. College football still uh, uh, every day something going on. Ben's basketball, the the melting pot of getting closer and closer. It's, it's not that far away, although still many conference games remaining. And then, of course, uh, the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. And last night, the, the Hall of Fame announcing, as we mentioned, Adrian Beltre, uh, also Maurer and Helton. We will hear from T.R. Sullivan. He's retired. Wrote for, like, decades. Covered Major League Baseball. Uh, he's going to join us at 4.15, his thoughts about 
the Hall of Fame class, including him covering Adrian Beltre for as long as he did. Craig Smoke, Paul Catalina, Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Emery is already thinking about what we'll have tonight on 365 Sports tonight on the local CW at 1030. So, good news for Washington. I, 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 don't, I didn't realize that they – I thought they had other options, but uh, Will Rogers withdrawing from the transfer portal and returning to Washington – Former Mississippi State quarterback re-entered the portal, number two all-time in SEC history with 12,315 career passing yards. Yeah, this uh, it appeared this was going to go this way a couple weeks ago when, you know, even though he had, or when the, you know, the announcement came down about Kalen Abor leaving, uh, he had, you know, put his name in the portal, but then he didn't really go anywhere and classes had started and, you know, you start looking around in the game of quarterback musical chairs, like, there weren't a lot of places for him. Like it's not like he could have followed Kalen DeBoer. Mm-mm. You know, they, they're, they're, of all the things that Kalen DeBoer does not have to worry about, at least right now, it's quarterback. Like everything else, he's you know has to juggle and make things work. But quarterback was was set for him with Jalen Milrow staying in the fold. The quarterbacks they already had in house. Plus, he brought in Austin Mack, who was his recruit last year. Uh, Jed Fish brought. Um, Williams, his quarterback with him from Arizona, that was a signee this year. So he's up there, but they needed a veteran for this year. So, yeah, this was probably the best option for Will Rogers. And it's great for Washington uh, that he gets to stay and he's there and they don't have to worry about uh, filling that role for this year, uh, provided he is healthy again and uh, back to full strength with that shoulder that he dealt with last year. Yeah, I mean, it had to be weird. He was there for the playoff run, got to be in the jersey and be on the sidelines, and I think we saw shots of him during the national title game, throwing the football around, and, you know, was expected to be the heir apparent to Michael Penix, and then college football changes as it does unexpectedly uh, at times. And so, yeah, suddenly he's out kind of on an island of uh, options, and uh, the options weren't very good, I think, outside of just sticking with where he had already chosen to go originally, as Paul mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of spots that had already locked up their quarterbacks, and when you look at the best available quarterbacks, I mean, it's not the list that it was a few weeks ago by any stretch. It is, it is slim pickings, and the schools that have openings or wants, um, same thing, you know. So, yeah, a lot of the quarterback decisions have already been made, including his, uh, part of that chain reaction. And so, to sit there and try to reset now at this point, I think you're you're putting yourself way behind the eight ball, and the odds of landing at a school better than where you are, are pretty much slim to none. So, uh, or a better situation at a better school, it's just where would that even be? Where you're nearly guaranteed to be the starter, or guaranteed to be the starter, and you're at a Big Ten school that just was playing in the national championship game. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't a total shocker because of the way the dominoes fell with DeBoer's move and subsequently what's happened in Tuscaloosa. So, yeah, um, good for Washington. I mean, that's a a win. It's not a massive, like, he chose them over so-and-so and and -and so-and-so like he did originally, but uh, to have him continue to be in the fold and have that centerpiece to start building around for Jed Fish, who had a very good year with Arizona last year and his quarterback play, uh, particularly once the – once the uh, the young man there, Noah Fafita, took over, that's got to be exciting for Will Rogers to have seen as well and, and a little bit uh, alluring. So, yeah, um, not surprised and good for the Huskies. You think that uh, Fafita was probably why Will Rogers entered the portal in the first place? Because obviously he's staying at Arizona and Rogers saw the writing on the wall with fish and then realized, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. 
Yeah, I think like no, like he he transferred. It's just assuming if Fafita yeah, was going to come with saying. him, yeah. and then if Fafita didn't, then yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah I, no, I see what I, you're saying. I, I yeah. think that's I think that's certainly a thing. By the way, Gary, because go that back would to absolutely that. make sense. Yeah. Go, does it look like I'm wearing a Will Rogers hat here, uh, like just no. the way I'm sitting? No, like, uh, you look like you're playing the role of his crotch today is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. the way it lines, I mean hey. look at the way it lines up with this color move, shirt. Move that way. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Yeah, All that's right. what I have to do because if I go back no! this way. Stop. Yeah. No. Um, but anyway, uh, the one school I was surprised, and I continue to be surprised to hear them mentioned with no quarterbacks, and I thought maybe Will Rogers going back to the SEC would be Auburn. But again, Hugh Freeze – I guess he's got a plan he's comfortable with there. I, I, I don't know. Well, just, I mean, the best mate, uh, available player still in the quarterback ranks is Jordan McLeod, and he's got like a 100% projection for Auburn. So maybe that's okay. what they're they're mm. banking on there. But, yeah, to your point, I think everybody expected Auburn would have made a bigger move by now, and they haven't. And, uh, yeah, that would have been potentially an option, but obviously that door closed pretty quick, or they didn't even try to turn the knob on that door. I don't I don't really know. But, yeah, that's, that's one that's a little bit more puzzling. But I did – Think of Auburn, and they are projected to get Jordan McLeod. So we'll see how that works. He'd be coming over from James Madison, where they had a very good year, obviously. And, uh, yeah, we'll see there. But uh, Will Rogers is uh, set to have a, you know, a nice uh, new venture. And uh, what that looks like, I think, all remains to be seen. But uh, I think Jed Fish is a heck of a coach, and he did a really good job in a short amount of time at Arizona and put up big numbers on offense. And, uh, yeah, Washington was doing that regardless. So I think he – He's actually kind of fortunate that he didn't end up where Washington hired like a defensive coach or something, and then you're kind of stuck. Instead, they brought in a guy who is going to keep the, the pace hot and you know keep the, the points flowing. So I think that's good news and probably was part of the, the swaying decision and just, hey, I'm going to stick where I am. Dwayne Aquino, this was, uh, again, he's been all around. He's been everywhere. Uh, was on his way back to Texas. Then, of course, uh, Arizona and all that changed. He now, and this was something Jason Shear and his site reported uh, over the weekend. It's now official. He is the defensive coordinator for the Arizona Wildcats and will be a part of the Brennan staff in Tucson. Well, good for Arizona to get Dwayne Aquina and, uh, back in the fold. Uh, that's, a, that's a heck of a coach, uh, and they know it. So that uh, Brent Brennan uh, keeps getting little wins here. I mean, you know, I, well, not little wins, but keeps getting, you know, wins. Keeping Fafita and McMillan together, that's great. That's a big win. Uh, getting Dwayne Aquina back in the fold, that's a win. Um, you know, granted, there's a, not an athletic director right now, so that's not a win for anybody, but I'm sure they'll figure that out here, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. So, yeah, but uh, so far, like, what could be a really rough transition for Brent Brennan hasn't been as bad as it, it probably could have been. Now, look, the... You know, there's still three weeks that guys can decide they don't like him and get in the portal. So, um, you know, not to put the cart before the horse, but so far he's been able to kind of stave that off to the level that you might have thought it would have happened at Arizona. He has been a GA at Washington. Of course, he's got that Hawaii look to him, and I met him one time at one of those uh, functions with donors or whatever when he was at Texas. And at CFL for a year, then Arizona from 87 all the way through 2000, then Texas from 01, part of those great runs they had under Mac Brown all the way through 13. Stanford for uh, about eight years. And then the analyst last year for Arizona. And now, because of the opening, he is the defensive coordinator at Arizona. A nice, good, good, good recruiter, too, in Dwayne Aquina. Now, there's a story about the North Carolina system. And this is attached, I guess, in some way with God knows what might happen 
when it comes to uh, the ACC. Uh, in fact, Brian Murphy from WRAL will join us at the end of the hour. Uh, the board making moves to try and stop North Carolina or NC State from not just leaving the ACC, but one leaving rather than the other. There is, uh, in, in fact, uh, Brian will come in and discuss kind of the politics involved. Uh, both will need the Board of Governors approval. To, uh, and, and it's a 24-member Board of Governors. The Governance Committee approved the move that they have the final say uh, earlier today. I mean, if you look at his history around the country, this worked for A&M in Texas until the governor changed, you know, and then when the when the governor changed and the, you know, the the politics shift and there were enough people to not uh, believe that they had to be tied together, then obviously it all ended. So, but if they're right now, if this is the best ditch effort they have to keep those teams in the ACC, then it will. But um, ultimately, um, you know, money talks too. So it'll be amazing. Like everybody can stand on, and that's how it works in the government. Everybody can stand on principle until they see money, and then they're like, "Ah, oh, well, I don't." The principles are stupid, you know. So that that we'll see. But that's worked in the pay. It worked. A and M and Texas were tied together for a long time because the politicians in the state believe that they should be together. Uh, now they're obviously going to be back together. But when A and M got to go to the SEC, it was because there were no. You know, the governor was Rick Perry at the time. He was a former Yale leader. There was nothing standing in the way, and when the you know A&M powers that be said Rick we're going to go to the SEC do whatever you want I don't give a crap uh yeah I think there's a lot of uh certainly it's understandable why a lot of the realignment accounts that are celebrating this is like it's the the biggest news that's happened in a while and it's the most notable news I guess that's happened in a couple of weeks but I, I think the thing to pay attention to is one let's not treat this as though it's happening and happened Absolutely. and going to happen there's a lot of oods here there's a lot of oods doing a lot of heavy lifting this could this should this would what do all those mean that it hasn't happened and that's what you see a lot of oods in this story now uh we saw with ucla they ended up having to pay a bunch of money to, to the cal system right because they needed the permission basically to there's a whole to do when they decided to bolt for the big 10 and then there was the well wait a second here we've got to put this under review and they ended up paying some money and they ended up getting their way in the end right and this sounds like that's politicking and exactly what would go on here in a way in that they're not just going to be able to say hey we're leaving by there would be a lot of people that would have to agree to it and to allow it and to then of course obviously plan for what that would mean for nc state because let's face it this is not a there's a one-way thing here. It's not NC State leaves and they have to bring North Carolina with them. That would not be the way this would go. This would be, hey, North Carolina is going to be the school to leave, so we've got to protect NC State. That's yeah. what this is. Yeah. This is politics is, is all that this is. It's not something that's absolutely happening. Nothing that, imminent. It's no, just kind of, again. It's politics. Listen it's, to us. we got to act like we're making our money. Right? It's politics. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. And so they're protecting NC State or making the steps to uh, start to – uh, protect NC State in the scenario that North Carolina were to, you know, have the opportunity to bolt to the SEC or to the Big Ten, and they want to ensure, I'm sure, that uh, North Carolina State would have a spot at one of those tables as well. Now, I don't know if either one of those conferences would go along with that per se. I also don't think that that necessarily is the only way that that could happen because, like with Cal and UCLA and that whole situation, yep. you come to an agreement and you let them go because it's in the best interest for everybody. So this is a an expected story because you weren't just going to have NC State out there with nobody in the 
government in North Carolina just doing anything to to not protect them. So I think this was to be expected. I think it's good news if you're NC State, but I don't think it means – because when I talk about the the reactions from, like, the realignment Twitter, I saw a lot of NC State fans taking, like, a victory lap, and it's like, no, it's not quite what this is, I wouldn't say, but it is good news for you. It's it's not like – the opposite of them saying this, and they said, "Hey, NC State, uh, sorry, North Carolina, you want to yeah, leave? Go, we go, go right that. ahead. Sorry, Wolfpack. I mean, this is the opposite of that, so that's good. But it also isn't like a final determination. So we'll see where this takes us. This all seems very early stages, uh, as we've seen with Florida State. This thing is going to be a process, and certainly North Carolina is going to be involved to some extent. So this is something to note, uh, but it's a lot of uds, and let's see where it goes the rest of the way. Uh, I would call we'll have this, an FSU note here in just a second. I would call this a posturing. Uh, yeah, but like for it was kind of like a bulletproof vest. Like, yeah, if you shoot them in the chest or the back, like they'll be all right. They'll, they'll knock down, but like you can still shoot them somewhere else. You know, like that. That's that's the other thing that they they'll have to worry about. But they actually they have a nice little cushion here, a nice protection something around it, but. Um, yeah. It doesn't take much to switch the, the politics around. Uh, anytime somebody leaves for another conference, there's going to be schools. It happened when A&M left. It happened when Texas decided to leave or where else. By the way, I was wondering about this, and then we get to the FSU note. Cal and the California system was going to have UCLA offset some revenue because they were going to the Big Ten. Does that still happen with Cal getting money from the ACC? Yeah, probably. I don't think they're going to go back and be like, yeah, you know what? We made a deal because they're they're still going to say, we had to make this deal because of you. So okay. that's going to be their I'm, argument. I'm, I'm wondering like, if maybe we, John Wilner would we, get down the road. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be having to fly to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for every other sport right, if, yeah. not, if not for, for UCLA and USC. So that, that's going to be their, their defense. It's like, yeah, we're gonna need, we need you to pay for our travel to go to Clemson, South Carolina, a place we have only gone once every 25 years for something because it was I think they should special. get – I think UCLA should take back – should not have to pay all the full throttle because they're – I'm just asking. All right. Matt Baker, our friend, covers the state of Florida, Tampa Bay Times, the board of trustees meeting now and eventually unanimously approved the plan that would allow university auxiliary funds to be loaned to the athletic department. No specific amount, timeline, or purpose was discussed. The simply approved a plan that allows them to approve future plans. Yeah, so they... Look, they, they're getting all what, the... What is that even... You know what FSU's doing right now? They're having a lot of meetings to have meetings to yeah. set up other but meetings. This, I just this, but this, this one them. here, like, basically all this says is, like, they took out whatever step they were going to have to do to when they get to this, they don't have to do that step. So, because there's a lot of, you know, red tape you have to go through when, all right, we're going to go to the Big Ten. And they're like, yeah, but did you approve the funds from subsection B, Form 7? They're like, no. Well, you have to do that first. No, they're, that's what they're doing here is they're, they're trying to line up every st- strategic thing, even though this is like a tweet about nothing right now. It probably is an important step in their process to yeah. whatever their secret plan is to I, upend I, the world. Right. I think it all, it all matters in the long run, like all these little individual, I guess, decisions being made. But I don't know. I want to speak for more of the gen pop out there and feel like we all don't care about every little bit of minutia when it comes to the governmental system and all these little things with all these little politicians. At least I'm speaking for myself here. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure this matters, but it's on my radar 
a blip compared to like give me the meat give me the like fsu's putting the war chest together like that and that is what this is but hey they're lining up the tanks to go mow over the the acc defenses and go you know into sec territory or a a big 10 territory i think that's more of what we're all waiting to see but in the meantime you've got to get your troops together you got to get your finances in order you got to get you know everything lined up like paul said and, and i think this is just another one of those those things that are that are all coming together uh, as Florida State continues to, you know, make uh, the, the decisions needed to best position themselves here moving forward, which we Paul, all know what that looks like in their minds. Paul, you're an anti-live guy, right? Uh, golf live yes. golf. Yes. I mean, yeah. for the okay. Yeah. So what if that same group? I'd hate it. Loans a hundred million dollars or so, or maybe five hundred million dollars to uh, Florida State University. I would hate it. It would. It, I would hate it. It just it would make you know me that feel that, so dirty. You know that 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 seemed like that's. I'm not saying that yeah, specific. I, I do. I do wonder though because it is a state university that falls under the jurisdiction of the East United States of America. If they'd be allowed to take that much money from a foreign entity like that, so uh, I don't know. I mean, like that. Like I don't know what the laws are, but that would seem to me to be a sticking point in just going to whatever country you wanted to and being like, hey. uh, you guys got money to give away. Like, we don't really care what you do to anyone. Well, we need the money because we want to do this. Will you give it to us? Cause, and they'd be like, I just think that there's, there's at least some um, right now protection in place so that, that foreign governments can't just come in and buy up state universities like that. Yeah, for me, and I'm sure there's a lot on that end of things that would have to be you know, figured out. Um, and I don't know how all that works. I, I won't pretend to, but yeah, I don't think the U S is just going to sit back and let uh, the Saudis just come start, you know, basically taking over universities. But for me, the, the weird part about this story, and I know like the whole Saudi thing, or just what's the proper term for it. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, people's, the, the public fund yeah, or whatever. The P, uh, yeah, whatever that, PIF, that phrase. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just not up on game when it public comes to investment fund. I think yeah, it's, yeah. PIF, um, the moment that we start doing that and having foreign countries spend hundreds of millions of dollars so that my college football program can be in the right conference, that's the moment where I'm like, what the hell are we even doing here? Yeah. Like, why don't you just become a pro French? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. When it, when it comes to you so desperately went out of a conference that now we're going and getting four. I, I just like the, the fact that we're to that part and so many people fast forwarded, especially a lot of FSU fans who just don't seem to care how they get out. They just want to get out. I understand your love for the program and that you just want it to be in the best place and you want it to be like Texas and Oklahoma and have your seat on the on the uh, the yacht and whatever. And I understand all that. But, like, doesn't there come a point where you're just like, all right, this is too far. Like, this is you, not worth the... Do, do you want to be FIFA? Do you want to be just, FIFA? Like, do you want to yeah. be... Like that, like that's where I worry this is going when you let all these other outside interests come in and that like instead of going for the goal of making the best possible product, you become completely corrupt to the core. And like you can say what you want about college athletics and pro sports in this country and doing things on the complete up and up. It's not as bad as FIFA was like where multiple countries are charging FIFA with fraud and all these different things. Do you want that? Because when you start inviting the wolves into the house, that's what happens. Yeah. And I I don't even know about like an exact comparison to FIFA, even the corruption part of it. Although, yeah, you'd obviously have to be on your, your, your toes and think that there's certainly ulterior motives at play for a foreign country to be like, sure, Florida state, We'll give you $500 million so that you can move to this conference that we could care less about. But just the fact that we're getting into this level where NIL, 
which was overdue and needed, has turned it into now where Florida State's debating on whether to, you know, have foreign involvement so that they can pay their debt to get out of like that just what are we doing like am i crazy no this is like college football you would have told me that we would be where we are in college athletics Uh, five or ten years ago and again a different analogy all right so there's that i i I just find that wild to think i don't think anything's off the table anymore. no sure it's not sure it's not and i i understand that i just i just when we stop for a second and realize like what we're talking about it's like Remember when it was just college football? And I know somebody will say, it's never just been college football. It's always been money and blah, blah. Okay, I get that. It's been money. It's always been money. I understand that as well as anybody. But, like, yeah, when we start inviting other countries to, I, I don't know, that just seems so bizarre and such an extreme to have to go to. Uh, but here we are, and, and we'll see, you know, what that plays out and looks like because that's not a guarantee by any means. But certainly that's been floated enough times that it's not just – a whisper in a, a Cracker Barrel restaurant between two random people. It's been talked about by people who could, you yeah. know, actually push this thing and are actually playing around with the idea because the stuff that we get floated through a lot of these reports and whatnot, that's intentional. That's not just, you know, foot on the street reporting and they uncovered something. A lot of that is the AD at FSU saying, psst, psst. Just throw it's that out the, there. By the way, it's called the Sovereign Fund. The Sovereign Fund. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of. Yeah, but, yeah, I just find that crazy. Maybe I'm the only one. You know, I'm not saying that's going to be the, the death of college football, and I don't want to make every opinion some sort of extreme opinion, but it's just – when I stop for a second and think about it, I just feel like we're, we're going a little too far with this whole thing. Here. I, uh, here's uh, Eye of the Watcher. The only time the North Carolina government can come together is universities football. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's a lot of the Uh, uh, South, I think, probably. So I thought this was pretty cool. Um, Mike Leach, of course, passed away a couple of football seasons ago. The new addition to the shelf, Jake Jake Dickert, the head coach at Washington State. What do you think, Cougs? I like it. I like it. I I love that color. It's kind of a combination of... The crimson, the red, the scarlet, and I'm, I'm not trying to, Washington State fans, I'm not trying to uh, pick your color. I'm just saying it looks like, I love that color. I love sure. the metallic look, the shine, and obviously even the swords, the cross. I, I think that's pretty good. No, I, I love it. I uh, love any kind of tribute you can get to the Pirate. I hope that, uh, like, I hope that we can have, like, a Mike Leach weekend where all three schools wear Mike Leach stuff in, in perpetuity just because I love Mike Leach so much. Well, um, why don't they wear that when they play Texas Tech? Yeah, then maybe they will. Yeah, uh, Crimson and gray, the, by the way, is their color. Go ahead. Yeah, didn't they change the announcement? They are playing Texas Tech. Remember they rearranged the schedule? Yeah, there was that. There was something because of, the, because of what happened with Oregon State and Washington State. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they are going to be playing, uh, I think, Washington State when – I want the football schedule, not the men's basketball schedule. Google, thank you very much. But yeah, I think they're playing. You don't this have year. it off the top of your head. No, I don't. I don't have Texas Tech's schedule memorized. I absolutely do Just, not. Um, but uh, again, football is all I want to see here. But uh, yeah, they're playing Washington State. I think this year, if I'm correct, and uh, that would be a seems like a great time to go ahead and on September seventh. Thank you, God, in my, Pullman. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. That would be a perfect time to pull those yeah, well, out. Yep. And Tech, we already know, has done all of their various. Things for Mike Leach uh, with the uniforms and, and uh, celebrations and the uh, what the uh, Hall of Fame, right? So um, I sure I'm sure they would be down for that as well. So that would seem like a prime opportunity. And yeah, that's week three on the schedule or week two on the schedule, I should say, uh, in Pullman, as you mentioned on September the seventh. So yeah, there you go. Maybe that'd be a time. But regardless, that's that's a cool tribute from uh, Jake Dickard and the Cougars. So there's that note about Washington State, Cliff Kingsbury. 
has been around, right? It was an analyst for USC, interviewed for the uh, Eagles job. Uh, that, of course, they, uh, the Bears job, they went with uh, Shane Waldron. So he continues to be out there. And the Eagles, Paul, with Kingsbury? Yeah. And Jalen Hurts? Yeah. And now that, well, and, and like the Raiders are too. So there's the Raiders. Yep. So it appears that he is leaning towards taking an NFL OC job or at least seeing what's out there uh, as he gets back into, you know, I guess he's um, an offensive assistant right now. And with no like specific title, he's still getting USC. paid by the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he is. Uh, so, but it, yeah, the Philly also about to hire Vic Fangio because uh, he wanted to move back closer to his family in Pennsylvania. So the Dolphins they mutually parted ways. So they're going to hire Vic Fangio and possibly Cliff Kingsbury. That would be super interesting with Jalen Hurts I, 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 in that offense. I think um, you know Cliff. Uh, as a coordinator at the NFL level, could be really, really successful. So, um, you know, uh, as a Cowboy fan, I I want to see it and don't want to see it. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm curious to see if that, that would be the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, good for him. He's a smart guy. He was not just the offensive analyst, though, with USC. He was a quarterback's coach. Yeah. Uh, so we saw a lot of him when Miller Moss was out there doing his thing in the bowl game. Uh, that's the last time I remember seeing Cliff. Uh, now we've seen all of these various reports in the – a uh, couple months since and uh, seems destined for a pro job. That that seems to be the case because all of the college decisions have pretty much already been made. I know there were some mentions, I guess, of him with a couple of jobs here and there at the college ranks, but I, I think he's got some proven to do, guys, I, unless you want to start off at a little bit of a lower level. But the idea that he's the Cliff Kingsbury from a few years ago where he can just slide into a you know, a top head coaching position in college. I think he's got a little bit more work to do uh, in that regard. And maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe maybe he liked just, you know, chilling out at USC for a little bit, uh, getting, you know, ducks back in a row, and then uh, now potentially returning to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously an intriguing name and uh, interested to see where he ends up landing. But uh, Cliff in Las Vegas would seem like a, a little bit of a party, and that would certainly be exciting, I'm sure, for Raiders fans. But uh, whoever ends up landing him, they've, they've got a sharp mind uh, coming their way. 3.30 is the time. We're going to have Brian Murphy about 3.50 today. He works for WRAL on that North Carolina story. And just really check in, even on the, the Tar Heels in basketball, with what Hubert Davis and company have. Uh, and speaking of which, tonight, Big 12 won game. Kansas State, 8 o'clock tonight on ESPN2. They are playing in Ames against Iowa State, the Cyclones. That's the one Big 12 game tonight. Meanwhile, tonight, 8th rank, we do the top 10 teams if they're not a part of the Big 12 too. Auburn, red-hot Auburn at Alabama, and then Illinois at Northwestern. Now, we'll come back to those scores, Garrett. Speaking of Illinois, the University of Illinois Chancellor released a statement on Terrence Shannon Jr. uh, saying that Brad Underwood, the head coach at Illinois, was not involved in the suspension decision nor in the decision to reinstate. What he was saying is, in keeping with the court's directive, remember Shannon was kind of suspended or whatever, the court's directive that he would lose value by not playing, and so he has to be allowed to be like any other member of the team in good standing, uh, no limit on his participation based on involved allegations. It, it wasn't kind of whatever. He got a rape charge and was suspended. And and so this is the school saying that, yeah, he's got he's to gotta be allowed back. That yeah. was going to mention that, yeah. But uh, he was out for a while. But, yeah, he's got a rape charge for a trip he made to Kansas, I believe it was. So 
He's a good player. Played at Tech, really good player. He continues to play. And now Illinois, there's back to the schedule playing tonight. They are, again, among the top I, ten I, teams in the country. I get that, like, this is due process and the court has ruled in Terrence Shannon's favor. But, man, this really puts Illinois in a, between a rock and a hard place. I mean, like, the courts have ruled what they are, but, like, you know, it's it, – I, like, I – I think for team chemistry, for everything going on, like that's that's a really difficult position to be put in, especially if you're the coach and you're kind of like, well, if this guy's got all this floating over his head, I don't if, I don't care how good he is. I don't know if I want him here or not. Did yeah. y'all see the crowd reaction when he came back? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they all about care. it. They were Hero they loved it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was but, like he came back from war or something. Yep. I mean, he's coming back from a suspension due to a rape charge, but you know, due process. And yeah. so the courts say he's allowed to play. Yeah. And Illinois saying, hey, it's not our decision, but here he is. Illinois fans are saying, welcome back. You're you're innocent, and you can help us win basketball games. And um, the, I guess, rest of us are just going to wait to see how this plays out because the court system's got to take, you know, its time, and it's got to go through its due process, and he is innocent until proven guilty. And so I see a lot of extreme reactions to Illinois fans' reactions. I see vice versa. Um, it's an ugly situation. Obviously, Illinois is trying to say a little bit of like, well, it's not us doing, the, you know. And so uh, we'll see what the, the courts end up, uh, you know, deciding eventually with Terrence Shannon. But, yeah, in the meantime, he's allowed to play basketball. And part of that ruling was that, you know, it hindered his uh, – his uh, draft value, his draft value, and therefore hindered his his money situation uh, in the future, and so that was cited, and that was also a, a, re, a thing that got a pretty extreme reaction because you know there's somebody who is an alleged victim, and this judge is ruling that this alleged rapist can play because his draft value might get hurt. So you can see we're like reading that over Twitter mm-hmm. might twist some people's feelings, but it also is the legal process. So yeah, it's it's a weird and unfortunate. And ugly situation anytime you hear rape involved, but you know, he is innocent until proven guilty and the judge ruled what they did, and whether you agree with it or not, that's what the situation is. So we'll see how this continues to move down the uh down the tracks here. But yeah, who knows what the the real truth is uh underneath all of this and hopefully we get to that point here sooner rather than later. Game from last night and then we get uh, take a break and come back with a quote from Troy Aikman when asked about the Cowboys and their entitlement or culture uh and then newey scruggs will join us today in about an hour covers everything dallas but also many things throughout the country with nbc television purdue the number two team hammered michigan houston goes into provo wins by seven back and forth game but houston pretty much they kind of they had control of that game but it, it, byu's that they're they're really good kentucky got blown out by south carolina Texas goes into Norman back-to-back wins after Rodney Terry's meltdown last week in the postgame against UCF. TCU, they were down 17 in Stillwater, came back to win the game, and then UCF beat West Virginia by 13. Those are the games from last night. Turns out Rodney Terry just needs to freak out every once in a while, and Texas will be like unbeatable, basically, because ever since he tried to throw Johnny Dawkins um, and his players – under the bus uh, with their upset win in Austin last week. Uh, they've now won two big games, beating Baylor and Oklahoma. So, I mean, we know that team has talent and that they were, you know, they're a top 25-ish type of a team, although I think there was times earlier in the year when maybe they were ranked and shouldn't be, but they're like a – they're on that bubble, right? Um, and have They the will be next to, week. If yeah, and they have the potential to, to be in there with the, the talent that they have. But, uh, yeah, that turned out to, to be – 
an embarrassing incident at the time, and I still think it's a bit embarrassing when we'll look back on it. I still don't think that Rodney Terry was in the right in any way, shape, or form. But whatever that kick charged, if it had anything to do with it, I'm just going to pretend like it did because they're 2-0 and since it happened. So, you think he was doing that? He was trying to deflect the loss. Oh, for sure. But I don't think he had any way, shape, or form enough insight. I'm not saying he's not smart, but that that would lead to them winning back-to-back games against two teams that were ranked in the top 25. Maybe it woke up his team. It, for right now, there's evidence that it did. Yeah, no, I don't think it was intentional. I think the sour grapes was yeah. what it was. But I think that just time, this, it's funny the timing that mm-hmm. you know they could have turned around and lost two more games, and then what would the talk be about Rodney Terry? Yeah. I mean, but instead, they've gone and won two games. So regardless of how it happened, whether that kick-started them into something or whether that was just purely coincidental – uh, the timing couldn't be better to go and beat Baylor in Oklahoma than it was after that ugly look after the UCF loss. So, however it happened, it's worked out well for them, and let's see if they can keep uh, the momentum going. But, yeah, that's that's a nice bounce back for Texas. All right, when we come back, uh, Troy Aikman was asked about the Cowboys and the difficulty, no matter the talent of the roster, et cetera. Brian Murphy on the North Carolina uh, Board of Governors. And Observer46 just joined us in the chat. Thank you. We'll read what you said about North Carolina and the ACC, David Smoke and Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, this is, and we appreciate your time every day whenever we can get it from you, 365 Sports. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Offering over 50 group exercise classes every week, including boot camp, bar, silver sneakers, and 10 cycling classes with morning and evening classes available. New state-of-the-art bikes that allow you to compete against yourself with a screen monitoring your speed, miles, resistance, and power. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Botch, and Nathan Rowe where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow, losing inches in weight the right way. There's a kids' club included with your membership, plus sauna and tanning bed. 16 tennis courts, plus a beautiful stadium court, and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman and assistant junior pro Kenna. Adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake, and the commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website at wacotennis.com next to Hawaiian Falls on Lakeshore Drive in Waco. During the Start Something New sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco, get incredible deals on our entire inventory selection of new Ram trucks, Jeeps, SUVs, Chrysler sedans, or sporty Dodge. Shop in store or online today and drive into 2024 with confidence and excitement. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming. Welcome home. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. 
Our good friend Brad Boozer, Boozer's Jewelers here at 365 Sports. Now, Brad, uh, people who watch uh, and listen to our show know I'm a double-time customer for you, engagement ring and wedding band, and you guys do that great, but that's not all you do at Boozer's Jewelers. Absolutely, and uh, I always like to say, you know, it's a new year. It's a great way to start the year out. Uh, go through your old jewelry. Go through your wife's jewelry box. Go through anything you're maybe not wearing, something that's broken, something that you're not using. We do a, a massive amount of custom work. We can take your old jewelry, old diamonds, old watches, and we can convert it into something special for you and make a one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry. Uh, and if that's not something you're interested in, uh, a great thing is we can turn that into cash. So we buy gold. We buy diamonds. We'll buy Rolex watches any kind of heirloom jewelry, anything that's maybe passed down to you. Boozer's Jewelers, where do they find you, Brad? We're at 1025 North Valley Mills Drive, right on the corner of Lake Air Drive and Valley Mills with the big clock on the corner. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming. Welcome home. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. So on my timeline, and Paul just popped this up, this is something that is happening right now. The Texas State University system or universe or Texas State University in San Mark just releasing this statement. This is from Mike Craven that Arizona transfer quarterback Jaden Delara has withdrawn from Texas State and will not be a part of the football program. So he left Arizona, joined Texas State because of that. Uh, T.J. Finley got in the portal going to Western Kentucky. I believe, and I was asking this, if Malik Hornsby might be going elsewhere. And now Texas State doesn't have any of them. Yeah, did you mention Washington State in there? That's where he started off, and then he got suspended, and then he had to leave, and then he ended up at Arizona, and then he left Arizona, and then ended up at Texas State. And this is, uh, I guess, surprising that you would think that the decisions being made to bring him in originally would have had enough backing that you wouldn't have to make this move just days later. That's a fumble in and of itself. This is a bad look for Texas State, guys. This is a bad look for them. To bring him in originally, given that you the had... The program or the university? Both. Both. Uh, the program mostly, though. I, I don't really talk too much about the universities as a whole. I think we we typically just stick to the athletic programs. And so I, I think here it's, it's mostly the football program because I don't know how much the university really had any decisions here um, other than maybe they were the ones that finally came around today and had a talk with their football coach and said, hey, I don't know. I don't know how that played out. But football program, 
yeah, we can absolutely say they were making decisions here. They were deciding to bring in Jaden Delora. Uh, they were deciding that it was better to bring in Jaden Delora and to uh, move on from uh, uh, what TJ Finley. And so we saw TJ Finley abruptly leave, and all of us talking about this last week were puzzled about like why would you bring in Jaden Delora when you already have TJ Finley and he just had a pretty good year for you last year and you made a bowl game in Kenny's first year. Like why would you? Jaden Delora is not that much better. Why would you do that? especially with his baggage, and none of us could really come up with an answer. And now here we are days later, and he's not even going to end up playing for Texas State. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of surprising. And then again, not because that just – that just I don't know. It just never felt right, that whole move by Texas State to bring him in. And he does have baggage. I mean, he had to leave uh, Washington State um, and had an issue there where he got suspended for DUI. But then, as we know, there's a, a bit of a bigger issue going on with him and um, – and other accusations. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, it's a thing that we talked to uh, Jason Shear about when he was at Arizona, and that was part of Jed Fish clearing him and bringing yep. him in and making sure that all that was okay. And then um, yeah, here we are, and and Texas State obviously caught a lot of flack, but that's not a good look. So the same day that Illinois releases a statement about Terrence Shannon and rape allegation, uh, you have Texas State releasing theirs. Jaden Delora again has withdrawn from Texas State University as a student, and will not be a part of the football program. He also has a civil case, as Craig, you mentioned, in Hawaii, an alleged sexual assault against a fellow minor while he was in high school. So now if you're G.J. Kenny, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, say, I'm not saying who's right or wrong here. If Texas State, it's their university. I still don't understand why you would have made the move. I'm not sure when we'll talk to G.J. again. But. Um, uh, you got a feeling that no matter what they do to fill the quarterback position, they'll find somebody. He knows people. But do you feel like this could lead to him one more year in San Marcos and then gone? I think that was going to be the case maybe anyway if he was successful. But, um, you know, he's now going to have to go through spring practice with C.J. Rod. I mean, like, you can't get anybody in before spring. T.J. Finley's already at Western Kentucky. Malik Hornsby's already at Arkansas State, and Jaden Delora is gone. So C.J. Rogers, who was here as a walk-on at Baylor, is there. And I don't even and know if he's still there. He Paul. might not even be still there. But they don't have like who's going to be their quarterbacks during spring football is a problem because he's going to have to fill this this spot after spring is over. So that that Jay, is there's, uh, one of the responses. Brad Jackson time, so maybe he's on. The, I'm going to yeah. look at the roster and see who else is there. This is a. Uh, this is very interesting. And, man, like out of nowhere, but not a surprise. You wonder about if the backlash was just enough, so much the university just said, we can't do this. But why would they not have known about it and cleared him? And if you're going to clear him to come to San Marcus, why would you backtrack unless, politi- unless the overall, we've seen this before, the overall just backlash was too much to deal with? Um, well, I mean, there's been plenty of stories written in the last week since he committed to Texas State saying that Texas State was putting winning above morals. I mean, that's not hard to find, and it's just not as amplified because they're not a school that as many people care about. And so maybe you thought that you could sneak it in there and not enough people would care um, about something that allegedly happened five years ago. And there's a whole timeline that uh, I didn't you know, flesh out, but there was another player involved who's now at Wisconsin, Kamoy Latu, uh, with a safety. Uh, but they both pled guilty back in 2018 to second-degree uh, sexual assault, and there's the whole, you know, backstory to that. And then there was the civil lawsuit, and they had come to a settlement back in August, um, but the judge had ruled it too low because of the amount of money that uh, Latu and um, – 
and Delore were making through NIL. So I guess felt that that was too low. And then there was a lawsuit, uh, and, and just there's been a lot of the legally. Uh, legal uh, legal battles going on, and that was you know brought up when Delore was brought on, and it's like, hey, well, what about all this stuff that's occurred and is ongoing? And I don't know, just I guess GJ but didn't care. My my question or, is, did whoever. Texas State clear the football program and GJ Kenny bringing him on campus, and then they changed their mind? We don't or know. They, I can't imagine they were blindsided. Uh, that would have been interesting. Blindsided not to get that clear, bringing a guy who has that kind of baggage on your football team. Well, when the, he announced a big-time quarterback coming to San Marcos and all of the graphics that uh, accompanied that, I, I think that you must have had a pretty good assurance that you were going to be allowed to bring him into the program since you were officially announcing it and celebrating it. So, yeah, I think probably what happened, guys, is kind of what I said, is all of a sudden there was articles being written, and it's not like you know we had Mark Schlebaugh and Paul Levine camped out in San Marcos for 60 days and nights, but... Um, I guess there was enough of a ripple effect and enough of a backlash. And who knows, that wasn't public. That was supporters behind the scenes going, we just had this great year. Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. We had the quarterback coming back. Like, why would you risk that for a guy who's got this baggage? It just didn't make sense. None of us thought it made sense. And so I guess, um, yeah, people behind the scenes changed their minds is is all I can think of. But um, yeah, that's that's an interesting outcome, and I can't say I'm totally surprised because I was surprised by it to begin with uh, that they even made that move. But yeah, it's been uh, quite the roller coaster that's continuing on for Jaden Delora uh, as a result of uh, allegations and, and his actions. And um, you know, there's still there's a lot to that story. I don't want to pretend to be like an expert on it, but um, you 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 didn't have to be an expert to know that you were taking on a risk by bringing him on, and so you should have known better in that regard. Now. Did you have enough assurance that, like, we understand it's a risk, but we're going to go through it and we're going to support him anyways and we feel like this is still a good move? I guess you had to think that, but clearly other people, you know, somebody involved, somebody's involved, changed their mind here in the last few days. If Texas State gave G.J. Kenny the clearance to bring him on, then, and I'm not, it's just across the board, it looks, like you said, it looks, it's a bad, bad look, and you wonder why create any of that when you had a pretty good situation coming off the team and also a quarterback that had a heck of a year. We're now joined uh, again by Brian Murphy, W-R-A-L, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and uh, Brian, thanks for your time. So we went over kind of the story from the Board of Governors, UNC, NC State, et cetera. And first of all, again, we do appreciate it. I know you've been doing a lot of cut-ins with TV, too. Uh, was this posturing? Was this something? Where's the meat on the bone with today's uh, I guess you could say decision. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the system president and the board, I think they just want to be aligned. They want, they want everyone to have to be aligned with them and them to be aligned where they're the decision-making body. They have the oversight over all 16 campuses that are in the system. That includes UNC and NC State. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if there ever comes a time and where one school wants to go to the Big Ten or the SEC and, and, you know, when UNC might have that opportunity, but NC State doesn't, you know, what they'll do in that situation. But this will just give them that power uh, to, to veto a move if they decide it's not financially viable. Brian, uh, this uh, does not, though, it protects NC State a little bit because NC State's not the one you really have to worry about. But it doesn't, it's just not like a complete, you know, shield uh, against anything because if they decide that it's best for UNC to go, they're still going to vote that way, aren't they? 
Right. It, it doesn't say, you know, the, the language doesn't say the teams can never be split up. They could not, not, you know, they could have, they could have passed something like that, but they didn't. This is, and, and it hasn't gotten to the full board yet. A committee passed it today. A full board should, should hear it next month. But uh, this basically says you got to come and present us with, with all the financials. You know, what's it going to cost you to leave? What's it going to cost you to join? What's it going to cost you to, to build up your facilities to, to be competitive in that league? And so that will have to be submitted to the system president. If the system president says you can go, then the board will get a chance to decide whether it wants to vote yes or no. So it's it's more of a check than a uh, than a than a it's more of a veto power than than something saying you guys can't do it. Um, but it'll be interesting if and when that time comes. You know how how that power gets used. Brian, it seems like there's been a lot of beating of the war drums, getting ready for a, a major shift coming out of Tallahassee, as you well know, for these last few months. Um, and there's been kind of a little bit uh, coming out of, of North Carolina. Is it getting louder? Is, is the drums uh, starting to get a little bit steadier? Or is this still very much a kind of a quieter time and, and there's a long way to go in the, in the ramp up here? You know, I, I don't think UNC wants to leave the ACC. Um, I, I think if they had their way, they would stay. Uh, as long as the, the money is, you know, I think they can deal with a little bit of a gap. Um, and as long as the ACC remains viable, certainly their path to the college football playoff is much easier. Um, so I don't think that UNC wants to leave. I, I don't, they're, they're not in the same boat as Florida State, um, where they feel like there's an existential crisis to their athletic department if they don't leave the ACC. I think UNC would prefer to stay, but if the, you know, if things were to change to the level, where it's no longer viable for them to stay in the ACC, then I think they would consider it. I mean, I think the backdrop to all of this is how much money is it going to cost to leave the ACC? And, and when you get out, you know, where are you going to go? But also, say it takes you three years, four years to get out. What does the college landscape look like then? Mm-hmm. Has everything changed once again? So you're going, to, you're going to spend all this political capital, you're going to spend all this money to get out of a league and then find out, oh, wait, you know, the top 32 teams have moved off into their own subdivision. So I think that the times are so uncertain that it, maybe it makes sense to kind of ride this out and see where we are. What, you know, what happens with employment? What happens with NIL? What happens with Charlie Baker's idea of a, of a new top tier? What happens with employment? You know, do they have to be paid? Do the college athletes have to be paid? I think there's just so many issues that right now it kind of makes sense to bide your time and, and save that political capital, save that money, quite frankly. Brian, do you think that, like, with UCLA and Cal, UCLA has to, like, send a stipend or whatever you want to call it to Cal because they're going to make so much money in the Big Ten and how it hurt Cal? Could that, let's just say it does occur in NC State's left out of it. Would there be any of that, like a revenue stream to NC State from UNC? Yeah, hypothetically, I mean that's not that's not something that's been discussed at this point. But you know, certainly, I think I think this state, they, uh, the members of the board certainly looked at what happened in other states. I think Oregon, Kansas, uh, California, some states have have tried to pass, uh, you know, law law is probably not the right word, but but things to keep the schools together. They haven't really held up, but I, I certainly could see if. Um, NC State were being left behind if the ACC were being dismantled if they were having to join a, another league that paid even less I could certainly see the board making some uh, decisions to try to to try to help them out what's interesting is is they have lumped uh, NC State and UNC together in a lot of different ways certainly they're the two biggest schools in the in the state they have the biggest budgets but you know for example they just passed sports gambling here every athletic department in the state 
except for UNC and North Carolina, uh, UNC and NC State, is going to receive money from the tax revenue that comes from that. Um, so they they have separated UNC and NC State in some ways from the rest of the schools in the system. That makes sense. They're the largest, but it will be interesting to see what happens if, if one of those schools was about to be about to be harmed. Brian, um, I asked, we had a, a Louisville columnist on yesterday. Uh, we have you on today. Do you feel that the ACC, save for the ones who want Florida State to win, like maybe Clemson, uh, so they can follow <laughs> suit, are uh, the schools individually are mad at FSU or do they understand? I, I, th- I think they understand. I mean, I think they're all professionals in this business. They know what, that what's happening. I think – you know, I think a school like North Carolina, for example, certainly would have options in a way that maybe a Wake Forest wouldn't. And so, you know, they, they probably have a different opinion of the matter. I think what's interesting is, you know, if Florida State is able to leave, how much money do they owe? And is that distribution, you know, enough to keep the other schools happy? Do they owe $500 million? Do they owe $700 million? You know, what do they owe? And would, you know, if two schools were to leave, and they each had to pay $500 million. Now you're talking about a billion dollars to distribute among your other members. So I think some schools are kind of taking that wait-and-see approach. Like, okay, well, if Florida State were to leave, but that were to mean that, you know, an extra $100 million for us or something like that. I, I, I just So I think they're all treating it like a business. I, I, don't, I think there, there are certainly hard feelings, I think, probably at the, at the ACT office. But I think all the schools kind of understand what's going on and, and – you know, realize that if they were at a different school, they might have a different opinion of the whole matter. So is this just part of yet another, like, check the box of what has to happen for everyone to have their um, ducks in a row whenever something eventually does happen? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if if you watched what happened in California, and I'm sure you guys did closely, mm-hmm. they were caught totally off guard by UCLA leaving. They had to kind of scramble after the fact, find out if they even had jurisdiction over the matter, um, it, it was a long process. It took you know several months for the board to figure out what they wanted to do. I think this is a board here in North Carolina that says, "Hey, this, this is a problem that could be coming down the down the pike. Let's let's get in front of it. Let's get in front of this issue. Let's figure out what what this board is responsible for versus what the individual boards at at each campus are responsible for." Um, it's part of a, a larger aligning with the board of governors, kind of trying to take back some power from from the individual institutions and say we never really granted you authority over this issue or over this issue so we're going to take take some of that power back so so some of it i think is, is pre-planning some of it is is part of a larger issue of this board trying to t- to figure out what it's what it's responsible for and what the individual institutions are responsible brian thank you very much i know it's been a busy day for you and appreciate you making room for us we appreciate your time we'll talk to you down the road yeah, no problem. Thanks Ryan for having Murphy, me. WRAL Television, covers North Carolina and Raleigh. And the story today that we discussed earlier in, in also the show. Hey, around the corner in about 15 or 20 minutes, former Major League Baseball writer T.R. Sullivan on Adrian Beltre in the Hall of Fame class. Newey Scruggs, also Chris Kapilovic, who's the offensive line coach at Baylor, plus Mike Craven, who's the one that had the story with Texas State released the statement on uh, Jaden DeLora. He will join us around 525 or so 
in the 5 o'clock hour. His thoughts about that and also Paul's top five. Anything else to wrap up the hour, guys? Uh, just wanted to make a quick note. Uh, Pete Nakos, uh, who we had on the show on Monday, um, is the you know one of the, the kings of the transfer portal, like him and Max Olson and Matt Zenix uh, all do a great job. But he is saying that right now the team to beat for Jabbar Muhammad from Washington is not Texas, it's Oregon. Well, congratulations to Jabbar Muhammad on the seven figures that you're <laughs> yeah. obviously receiving from somebody here in the very near future. I mean, I can't see a scenario where you're not, uh, honestly, with those two as your your top choices, potential options. Uh, yeah, Texas seemed like a slam dunk because of... But Bama's the third one. So, yeah, he's definitely going to get seven <laughs> figures here this uh, very soon coming year. But, um, um, yeah, so... That's uh that's interesting. I mean, it seemed like it would be a slam dunk to to go on down to Austin and the fact that it's being made a bit more interesting in Oregon of all the teams. I mean, they're all in, man. They are they are spending Phil Knight's money and everybody else is is, is all in uh on uh the Oregon NIL situation. I mean, they are they are going big time, big bucks uh, there this off season. So yeah, not surprised to hear them mention and then Alabama too is is very uh, interesting as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's obviously a connection with Kalen DeBoer it would make sense, but not not a bad life to be living if you're Jabbar Muhammad right now. You're going to end up at a really good school, and no matter of those three you were to pick from, you're going to be not only in a good spot with a good coach, but you're going to get a very good uh, amount of NIL money. One would think as well. One last comment from the chat room from Observer Forty Six. One big issue with North Carolina is that if the ACC does not collapse, what does North Carolina do? Is there really any chance they would sue the ACC in a North Carolina court? North Carolina cannot have a new home until they leave the ACC. I mean, I, I think there are people. I mean, we know, I don't think I know there are schools like Clemson and maybe UNC. UNC might be riding both sides of the fence where they don't really want to leave, but if they're going to get $90 million, then they're going to go like, well, you know, this is great and thanks for everything, you know. I think the but, smart play for UNC is to play both sides yeah, of the fence right just, now. I just, mean, why? I mean, yeah. just watch what's going on, and then, and then if you get the opportunity to go make more money so long and thanks for all the fish, that, that's it, you know, and, and that's – that's how it goes. So, yeah, I think that there are they're going to play every like there's going to be a lot of schools that are playing both sides of the fence. Like Clemson and Florida State are the ones who everybody knows kind of obviously want this to change and Clemson's just not suing anybody right now because they don't have to spend that money because Florida State is. So, Right now, Florida State's spending all their money and using all their lawyers in court. Clemson can sit back and just wait for that to happen and go, all right, well, here's what the Florida State can leave. So can we, you know, see you later. Do you guys remember when uh, the Pac-12 was uh, being threatened because of the lack of a TV deal and Colorado and Arizona and Arizona State and Utah had zero conversations until that very day they decided to join the Big 12? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Remember how there's nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever going on, nothing yeah. at all, yeah. and then all of a sudden they didn't get that TV deal and they all just jumped at the Big Twelve without any conversations beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. wait, that's not how it happened at all. Exactly right. Um, so yeah, I think North Carolina is having the conversations with anybody and everybody that they need to have conversations with, and are getting um, all the information that they need, and they are setting themselves up to be able to 
pivot where they need to pivot, whether that's, you know, to the left, to the Big Ten, to the right, to the SEC, or just where they are right down the middle, Tobacco Road. Um, but if you're North Carolina, you don't have to make a decision right now. And, and there's also not the ability to make a decision because, for all we know, they don't have anywhere to go. So, uh, yeah, this is like last summer and a couple summers prior to that. Um, you know, I think the, the outliers, like an Oklahoma-Texas situation, where you know they are always looking, but you didn't know they were actually talking necessarily, much less talking and having a place to go to. And it just so happened that that came out a few more months before it was supposed to, uh, but was a lot a lo- far enough along that it was already pretty much official, right? Mm-hmm. This is not that. I mean, this is this is more of like I think with like the pack situation where you have to have some things work themselves out. And Florida State obviously is a big part of what's being uh, worked on and worked out. Uh, so I think a lot of people are watching them, Here's, but everybody's getting their their war chest ready. The Texas Oklahoma separation. You're right. When Brent Zerneman popped that story, they weren't ready yet to pop their own story. Uh, the USC-UCLA, what was it? Was it Wilner who popped that story? Yeah. And mm-hmm. they weren't quite ready for that to happen. This one's so much more public. Like, everyone's trying oh. to scratch and claw. <laughs> Look, Everyone knew that the others were always a little bit like, hey, we need we're, – we're not getting enough out of this, but this one here is a, <laughs> like a, a public divorce. Even last summer – FSU's president is going to – like, Drew Rutherford might pop the story. Even last know. summer, you had all those presidents – we're not doing anything with the Big 12. We're no, committed yeah. to the pack. And they were, this is Florida State saying, we want to leave. We, yeah. want, we are going to sue you. We are going to go get – PIF to buy ourselves like Florida State is just saying everything that everybody else is too scared to say basically and so that's the major difference here is that they are looking out in public for their way out and fighting for their way out whereas the others were not even attempting to alert anybody that anything was going on and then in the case of the pack it obviously became a situation where everybody knew something was going on but they didn't quite know what was going on and they needed to wait for a TV deal. So this is another, I think, waiting game, and little dominoes are going to fall here and there. But, yeah, there's there's definitely some shaking of the trees going on for sure. Buffalo OK State on my Twitter feed about Delora. Always felt like a weird move. Didn't seem worth it to uh, run off your starting quarterback, and now it makes it even worse. We'll have Mike Craven on that today uh, at 520 after Chris Kabilovic, uh, the head uh, the offensive line coach at Baylor. Well, I mean, they uh, in that story uh, with Delora and with Kenny, I mean, when Kenny came out with his statement after some of the, I guess, the newspaper at the school, you know, got riled up and I guess a few supporters got riled up, um, they said, hey, well, he was cleared and he was playing at Arizona and they were fine with it and they were aware and he was cleared and he was playing at Washington State. But I think what happened was it's a 2018 incident that suddenly becomes way more of an issue in 2022. Yeah. And so it wasn't like that was all apples to apples. Well, you it's know? still out there. Like after all this, it's well, still out there. Yeah. Well, what happened was they came to finally a settlement and the day that the settlement arrives is when Texas State says, here's our new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Welcome Jaden Delora because now the legal part of it's and that's what I'm, also rubbed people a bit of the wrong way. I'm so. going to use an example. If a team at the Major League Baseball trade deadline looking for like an ace starter or a closer, you might have a guy that ends up going 13 and 11 as a starter. And let's say he goes four and two down the stretch. You bring in a guy that's an elite, high-level starter, and he might go six and zero. Oh. Are those two wins worth what you gave up? 
to bring this other guy in the starting rotation in the end. If you and if you might, win the division by two games, yeah, then maybe. But, but if that's you don't, if he goes six and zero. Oh. In this yeah. case, was it worth it for all of what's happened? And now you you don't have any of the guys who were there on your roster, and now he's gone too. Was it worth that in the first place? APB. I mean, the dude should be in prison for sexual assault. I, again, the case has been settled. I, I, Here's the thing, though. Like, I mean, we, you know, Latu's been cleared. He's at Wisconsin. Uh, Dolores bounced around now to, to two different schools since uh, his original uh, school, or now this is his third school overall, or was, I should say. And I don't even know if it counts now at this point because it was less than a week or about a week's time that he was even a member of Texas State technically. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair to say now, no, it wasn't. It was curious to begin with, though, before Texas State fans or newspaper writers or whoever it was that initially started to balk at the whole issue of his background, I don't know how much better he was that the, it made all that much sense to begin with, but obviously GJ and his staff felt differently. Now, in his statement, and they had clearance from Texas State. Like, they had everything was – they felt like – it was something that was in the past and that was being taken care of and obviously got settled and that they could then move on as a result of that. But I don't think they expected the public outcry, however big that if was or not. they didn't expect the public outcry, they're not paying attention. Well, how many yeah. times do we see college athletics no. officials that seem to, you would think you give the benefit of the doubt, seem to, the obvious would be obvious to everybody, and they're like totally oblivious to what's obvious out there, yeah. you know, uh, so. I still want to know, we'll talk to Mike at 520 or so uh, again is Texas State backtracking on what they said was going to be okay because of all of the pressure from all different directions. When we come back, uh, T.R. Sullivan, Major League Baseball. He's retired, longtime columnist on uh, Adrian Beltre and the Baseball Hall of Fame. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive at North 19th Street. I was just in there the other day, and two amazingly huge uh, liquor uh, I said liquor. Of course, it's liquor. Whiskey displays of whiskeys I've never uh, even seen or brands I've never even seen, but they are craft whiskeys in Texas, so it's new stuff. I'm going to have to go in there and try that so I can report back to you, uh, my uh, the, the, our faithful viewers, on what was good, and I can tell that in the next spot when I, I do actually go. But they're the best when it comes to local craft bourbons. It's unbelievable. I mean, they there are things, and again, I consider myself in the know, uh, you know, walking around looking at, oh, my gosh, there's just so much different stuff here I have not tried. But if it's even the new stuff or the classic stuff like TX or Devil's River, Garrison Brothers, uh, Balcones, all that, they've got it there. Riverman Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now... Uh, on Franklin Avenue here in Waco, two locations to serve you. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. MRI. 
Guns Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year, Aging Room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley, Don Schumanor in the Townwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon-wrapped fillets, sirloin steaks, bone-in ribeyes, boneless ribeyes, and even prime rib. Cut specifically the way you want, the thickness that you want. They're all delicious. They have Norwegian salmon, mahi-mahi, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey, variety of cheese, and several options of sausage links, and even regular jalapeno or cheese snack sticks. Fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, and ground beef, marinated beef or chicken fajitas, and always large briskets and tri-tip available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and tradition continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, a full-service butcher shop and bakery, open Monday through Saturday. The Bauer Family, Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. He uh, has uh, been a great friend of the show for many years, even prior to what we do now with 365 Sports. He helped nurture me with covering the Rangers at baseball training camp in Florida and also in Arizona. The great T.R. Sullivan joins us, retired Major League Baseball writer on 365 Sports. It's great to hear from you. Have you on, T.R., Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, David Smoke, Adrian Beltre, 99-plus percent. Uh, Your thoughts about what his impact was and uh, the no-brainer, obviously, he's a part of baseball's Hall of Fame. Hi, David. Nice to see you. Nice to be with the gang again. You too. Um, <laughs> uh, look, he's one of the best third basemen in baseball history. I mean, but if you look at it, David, and you and you and I were both around but, talking about it in 2011, he was not a Hall of Famer. And he talked about it today. We were at his press conference, and he went through a rough time in Seattle. You know, he had to, he had, you know, got off to a good start with L.A., went to Seattle, had a rough time, uh, had a comeback here with Boston. When he comes to the Rangers in 2011, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's a good third baseman, doesn't have a whole lot of credentials. He really flourished in Texas. You know, he, he was on great teams. He was more experienced. He knew himself better as a baseball player. He knew himself better as a hitter. He was more confident. And his attitude, just, his attitude, which we all saw on the field, was, I'm going to go out there and have fun. Enough of this pressure. 
enough of this, you know, trying to please the fans, try to live up the contracts and all that. I'm just going to go out and have fun and be myself. When he, when he did that for the Rangers, he became Adrian Beltre, and he showed the world who he was. I mean, he was always a great defensive player. He was always a very good offensive player, but he took that to another level with the Rangers, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. TR, he um... – and you were around every day in the the clubhouse, I, I, like just covering sports. I don't know if I've ever been in clubhouses that were as like equally fun and locked in as those Rangers teams were. And he had he was able to thread that line of being the guy who could be super serious when they needed to be, but also just you know mastered that the the idea of baseball is a kids game and you're getting paid millions to play it and let's have a blast he and elvis andrus at infield practice was a fun thing to watch and that's usually the most mundane thing ever you're right paul i mean i mean the rangers needed that the rangers really needed that because you know they were they're in pennant races and you know they were trying to win a pennant and um that's a lot of there's a lot of pressure to win in baseball in, in any sport and and you need guys who can, you know, keep you from going crazy, from let, keep you from letting the pressure get to you. And and Beltre was very good at that, and um, Michael Young was very good at it. Some of them I don't think were, were as good at it as, as those two. And I think they really, really carried the weight of as far as leadership in that clubhouse. And, you know, making it a fun place and, you know, not taking it too seriously, not but but more importantly, not letting any loss get bigger than it is. That was one of the good things that those two guys, Michael Young and Adrian Beltre, when the Rangers lost, it was not you know, it was, you know, and Texas has this mentality of it because the football is like every loss is an apocalypse now. You know, oh, we lost this game. The Cowboys lost this game. Where what does this do to the team? Well, in baseball it's a whole different story because they play 162 t- games, and Beltre and Young were the best at saying, hey. We lost. We'll make adjustments. We'll come out and play hard tomorrow. Tierra, I know you've seen a lot of people inducted, so I don't know if like the percentage jumps out to you, but 95.1%. I mean, he's clearly the headliner in this class and, and by far the highest percentage. Uh, surprising to you that he got that high of a total first year on the ballot, or is that was kind of expected? Well, there's a couple things in, in play here, guys. Number one is, uh, you know, guys who are, who are perceived as clean – "Quote unquote clean." I think they're getting a lot more respect than they normally would. You know, you know, fifteen, twenty years from now, fifteen, twenty years ago, a guy like Belichick could probably have gotten about eighty-five percent. You know, which is clearly more than enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but now, I think guys who are perceived that we're not messing around with steroids, don't don't have that taint. You know, play the game right, play the game with respect. I think they're getting a lot more love from. You know, from the curmudgeons, the the gruff guys who say, "Oh, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer," or you know, he's not as good as Babe Ruth, or he's not as good as you know Willie Mays. You know, who, the guys who had higher standards, I think, are giving a little bit of more leeway to guys like Beltran. and that's why I think now you're seeing a lot of guys in the ninety percentile uh, that they weren't there before. I think they're they're just they're being more. Uh, I don't know, welcoming or uh, lenient or whatever you want to call it on, uh, from some of the guys who were who re- traditionally really tough on first ballot Hall of Famers. So, TR, to go through the Hall of Fame voting, you've done that. Uh, the Heisman Trophy voting, you name three players. It's not five, it's not nine, it's not 12, it's three. 
With the Baseball Hall of Fame, how is that process for someone like yourself who's voted? Well, there's a committee that, that comes up with a, like a 25, 26, somewhere around that 25, 26 candidates, okay? And, and, and the ballot gets sent out in November, and writers like me who have 10 years experience, and you have to have a minimum of 10 years experience, we can vote for up to 10 players. Okay. And and usually, I don't know, I don't know, usually it's been about 450 to 500 voters a year. I'm not sure what the exact number was this year. And you got to get 75% of the vote. So, you know, whatever, whatever that comes out to, um, you know, 300, if 500, 500 people vote, I guess that's like 375, I guess. 375 people have to vote for you. So, you know, again, I think Beltre, I think it was like 469 and he got 458, something like that. I, I can't remember, but he got all, but it was all about like 11 votes or something like that. I remember, I think Nolan Ryan didn't get six votes, five or six votes. And that was a big thing. And then somebody, one person didn't vote for Derek Jeter. But I remember, I remember back in the 70s, or I guess it had been the 70s, Willie Mays, five people didn't vote for Willie Mays. Well, this, of course, before the Internet and all that, so nobody really revealed their vote. But I remember the Sporting News, which back then was a much bigger deal than it is now. I don't even know if it still exists. But the Sporting News ran a big editorial offering all the space they wanted to anybody, any of the five voters who wanted to come forward and explain why they didn't vote for Willie Mays. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, maybe the greatest player ever lived. So, anyway, it's basically, to me, though, here, here's the thing about this, guys. If you get 75% of the vote, you've done great, okay? That's a, that's a pretty high standard for this. And the writers are pretty tough. I know there's you can also get in on the Veterans Committee, which is a whole different ball game. but the writers are very tough. We have high standards, and a lot of good players like Ron Sandel didn't get in, you know, Dale Murphy getting in. You know, everybody has their favorite player who didn't get in, but we have high standards. And if you get 75% of the vote, I don't care if you get in in your 15th year like Jim Rice or – Rich Gossage, or you get in your first year like Adrian Beltre and Derek Jeter. When you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame. You're in, okay? The Hall of Fame doesn't have like a gold, silver, and platinum level like that. You're either in or you're out. If you're in, if the Rodgers vote you in, in my view, you deserve it. But what are your thoughts then if you were a Hall of Famer eight years into your voting ability, uh, your, your, I guess, eligibility, why were you not a Hall of Fame in the first year? Was it because of every others that were on the ballot at that time? Yeah, that's a lot to it. And, I, and I've, been, I've been voting 26 years, I think. And I'm going to be honest with you, my, I changed my mind on players, some players from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a Burt Blylevin fan for a long time. Blylevin started out like at 15 16%. And he, he finally got in at like in year 14 at 75% barely got in. But, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it in the past has been say, sabermetrics has really taken over. And a lot of players have gotten a, a fresh view from, from voters through uh, the advanced statistics, you know, you know, a lot of times players look at a guy differently. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, one day, I mean, literally, I've had years where I said, no, this guy's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer. Then the next year, I look at him and say, no, I think he is. I mean, I changed my mind, and I, I don't apologize for it. But that's what happens when they're, on, when they're on the fence. You know, a guy like Andrew Jones, is people go back and forth with him, Gary Sheffield, you know. And then some players just annoy the heck out of you, like Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling would be in the Hall of Fame if he just shut his mouth. Kurt Schilling would now be in the Hall of Fame which was which is a dream of him, but he, he just can't shut his mouth. He has to be 
the, the political expert of, of our lifetime. And, you know, if that's what he wants to do, that's fine. But that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. TR, uh, you mentioned Gary Sheffield, and he's he now goes to the Veterans Committee and in, in however long that takes. Um, but just for him in particular, just kind of curious on on your opinion on him. A dude with 500 home runs, his, his war is like 60 and a half. So uh, he was a really fantastic player. But ha- does he fall into that like Mitchell Report group or whatever where people look at him differently? Or, or, or what was the deal uh, on Gary Sheffield because he maybe didn't get to 3,000 hits? What was it? Well, the, 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 yeah, the, 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 the drugs thing is hurting him. There's just no doubt about it. He's being hurt by the drug thing. But boy, I tell you what, if you look at Sheffield and he's a, he's a, he's a great player, but there's some years and I go back and forth on him too. He was not a great defensive player. Yeah. He was a great slugger for a lot of years, but you know, he had some great, great years, but there's not a, a lot of it is his longevity, which is, which is a plus, which is a plus plus for Hall of Fame candidate. But you know, you know, was he that great of a player? He he was he was probably. He, I don't think he was as good as Don, uh, Don Mattingly. I don't think he was ever as good as Don Mattingly. But he played much longer, so he has greater career numbers. Don Mattingly is not in the Hall of Fame because he doesn't have great career numbers, just like Steve Garvey. Sheffield has great career numbers, but I'm not sure year to year that he was an elite player. I think he was a very dangerous hitter, but um, was he just lights out? One percent. I don't know. That's he's pretty borderline in that, in my regard, on that. Tr, I know this is uh, already looking ahead, and I want to enjoy Adrian Beltre. But when you look down the line at a guy like a Corey Seager with his postseason, he's a postseason Hall of Famer. I think would would be very clear. But obviously, missed a lot of time in the regular season over the years. What kind of benchmarks does a guy like that, who's accomplished what he has, would he need to hit to be in that Hall of Fame conversation down the line? Mm. Oh, he needs, he needs, he's, he's a long way away. He's not there yet. He's got to have about five, six, seven more great years. He's got to put up some career numbers. I mean, he's starting to compile the, the year by year, the, the great seasons. You know, you want to have, a, you want to have a run. To me, I like to see a guy who's had 10 Hall of Fame seasons. I mean, 10 years where, you know, if you're like a guy like Seager, you know, or, or Jeter, three to 320 every year, 100, 100 plus runs scored or 100 RBI, something like that. A consistent run like that, gold gloves mixed in like that. That's that's step number one. Step number two, you know, a guy like Dale Murphy did not finish it off. I mean, that's just why Dale Murphy's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was great in the 80s. You guys, well, some of you guys remember, Craig, you may not. <laughs> but in the 80s, he was fantastic. He was one of the best players in baseball, maybe the best. Mm-hmm. But he just, he nosedived, just like Don Manley. He nosedived. So, you know, even Mike Trout is starting to nosedive a little bit. I mean, Mike Trout, one time you would think, oh, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. And he probably is. But, you know, he's starting to nosedive a little bit. So you, you see that all – I've seen that all through the years. A guy, you think, oh, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. This guy's a Hall of Famer. Well, here here we are now. Dale Murphy's not in. Steve Garvey's not in. Uh, you know. Mattingly? You know, Don yeah, Don Mattingly's not in. You know, just guys that you thought, oh, these guys are going to be great. They're fantastic, and then you know, poof, they they did not finish. You got to finish that career. You got to you got to have some longevity, and you got to have great a long stretch of great years. But you also have to have longevity. It's 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 a, it's a balancing act when people go to vote. You know, you you look at the you look at what they call they call peak value, 
and career value. And, you know, Dale Murphy had great peak value, but not long-term value. And I think Sheffield has long-term value, but I don't know if he has peak value, if that makes sense. So what's it like to see Beltre go in? And it was just, what, a couple of months ago when a team you followed through their uh, surge or through their horrible times won the damn World Series. What was that like for you, T.R.? Well, I mean, you know, it was, you, you saw, you guys watched, it was a roller coaster year. There's, you know, they got to a great side. You go, wow, this, this is a good team, but, you know, they still, they're pitching just short, and, but, you know, they're, they're not going to hold up. You know, you're not going to hold up. You know, they got to a great start. I said, now they're pitching. They, they need more pitching. And, you know, Chris Young did a great job of, of feeding the pitching staff with, you know, Jordan Montgomery and, and, and those guys. And, you know, they kept staying, they kept staying, and, then they would hit a slump. You go, yeah, they just did the, you know, here we go again. You know, we've been this, you know, you've been this through 53 years. We've all been through this for 53 years. And all of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. They got in the playoffs as a wild card team. Well, we all know that they've been in the playoffs as a wild card team. Or, you know, is not not a favorite, okay? I mean, they've won division titles, but they were, clearly weren't the favorite. What happened with me was, I looked at, when, when the playoffs started, I really took a hard look at all these teams, and I go, Nobody has good pitching in baseball. Nobody has good pitching. So my opinion of what happened with the Rangers is the rest of the league came back to them as far as pitching. The Rangers had a, a, a great offensive team, which, as you guys know, they always had. And they had, and they had a few decent pitchers, but their pitching wasn't that good this year because, you know, the injuries mm-hmm. to Grom and, you know, Scherzer and all that. But when I, when, I, when I really studied this thing at the start of the playoffs, I said, or the postseason, I said, nobody has the pitch. I mean, you know, people are crying about Atlanta and Baltimore won 100 games and, oh, they got knocked out and that's a shame. Hey, guys, the Dodgers, they didn't dodge it. That, that pitching was not good. I mean, it was not, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't dominating pitching like great teams have. No team went into that postseason with a great dominating pitching staff, the kind like the Braves used to have and even the Yankees in their run and, Nobody had a great dominating pitching staff that you would sit there and go, wow, this, this team could make a really strong run. And the Rangers, you know, as I watch it, I just kind of, I was like, you know, this team, this team can win because these other teams aren't going to, you remember, you remember the Yankees dominating the Rangers with pitching? Oh yeah. You remember when they, you remember when they scored one run in three games? Yep. Nobody has that kind of pitching anymore. Nobody, nobody. And so that gave the Rangers just as good a chance as anybody. You said 4.30. Uh, I, I said this to those in the chat. They love your opinions uh, and your honesty. You took me under your wing the first time I went to go cover the Rangers in Port Charlotte when I was starting to do talk radio. Always remember that. You're a great friend and obviously an incredible columnist, writer for Major League Baseball. It is great to hear your voice and so glad you could come on with us today. Hey, my, my phone number hadn't changed in 30 years, David. Ah. You, can still, you can still dial this number. Uh, I, I would, still answer it. Hey, I, you should not tell me that. I will absolutely <laughs> abuse the power, and it's so good yeah. to hear from you. You're the first person I wanted to get on to talk about Beltre and also the Rangers. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Uh, I will talk to you soon. T.R. Sullivan, Hall of Fame writer, Texas Baseball Hall of Fame, covered the Rangers for years and also – uh, again, great, great to have him on the show today. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice change of pace. It felt like a breath of fresh air in a, yeah. in a way. And um, it was fun to get his like thoughts on the, the Seeger thing. I thought mm-hmm. that was an interesting question um, and just a lot of other topics there. But you know what it sounds like to me, guys? And I didn't talk to him on a weekly basis like you both did. I mean, you for forever and ever and you for quite a long time as well, Paul. But 
He sounds a lot happier in retirement, yeah. <laughs> doesn't he? He yeah. sounds like he's enjoying retirement, and that's great. That's awesome. It was great to hear his voice. Well, you yeah. can do it for a distance. Like he can still show up wherever. Like T.R. Sullivan can walk in any, any ballpark yep. anywhere he he wants to, and, yep. and walk in and go to the clubhouse and talk to people because he's he's certainly earned that. But he doesn't have to do it 162 games yeah, a year. Man. Which you know, look, when we ra- like I ragged on the baseball writers yesterday, and like because I, I don't. Like, I do think the process has some flaws in it, but I do like the, that he should, like, yeah, change your mind on that. He was brutally honest But brutally that. honest, it was good. Like, I, I appreciate that. But of all the, like, the sports writers, like, football writers, like, I mean, I'm not knocking They all work hard, but, like, they have one game a week. You know, they've got some practices and all that. The offseason is considerably longer. The other stuff is easier to cover. But the baseball season of a game every single day of the week sometimes before you get a day off is a grind. Like even basketball and hockey who have 82 games, you got to cover in the regular mm-hmm. season before the postseason. At least you don't have to be at a game at eight 30 at night on a Wednesday every week for six months as where baseball writers, it's just an absolute. And, and they may slog. be having to fly to Anaheim. Or, yeah. Uh, so it's, it is, yeah, it's, it's a weirder thing. And so, yeah, they get a little more grizzled than maybe some of the rest. And rightfully so. I think in a lot of cases, sometimes but i mean yeah, tr that's what i like about the old baseball writers that tell you like how they feel yeah. about something and and you know there's not uh like if there's an agenda you'll know about it it's not like any kind of secret i'll, I'll never forget yeah. the first time i went into a clubhouse in port charlotte to do an interview and tr was talking to i believe it was kenny rogers and i walked up and put my microphone underneath kenny rogers right like right here on the chest and tr gave me this glare and what he told me later on, he didn't jump me. I kind of just was careful. He said, when writers are talking to players, it's a, it's, this is what we do. Uh, you can get Kenny Rogers, but don't. we want to keep our own quotes. Now, I thought initially that was a little bit too much of a territory or turf war, but he explained to me why. That's their, that's their time. And I was there just to get interviews to put up on a radio show a little bit later on from training camp. He is a, a pro's pro without yeah. any you, question. You know, um, so we didn't actually share. We should have shared this story, you know, when Beltray went yesterday. But you and I uh, several times went to, and you went a lot more, but at least when Beltray was there, you and I were going to Ranger Spring Training every year in surprise. And that, like, enthusiasm that TR was talking about was so evident with Adrian Beltre. We watched, it was the last day we were there. I'll never forget it, one of the years. And we were going to get ready to, I guess we we're going to talk to Wash. We we're going to talk to Ron Washington. Uh, and so we we're out on the practice field, um, you know, and they were taking ground balls. And he and Elvis Andrus had this stupid little game that they were playing. Competitive, the, though. Competitive as hell. And, and it was, but it was contagious to the rest of the team nope. that those two were having so much fun doing it on what should be a mundane Tuesday morning, you know, taking ground balls like you've done every day of your life. They just made every single thing fun. And I like it was when could, I was a kid, you could we see used in the to sit there and yeah. throw balls in the air, pop-ups, line drives, scoops, whatever. And they're doing that. And they're both in major league baseball, except they're taking ground balls from somebody live. Who's in the, who's in the uh, batter's box. You're right. Those two were like their own little show, but in a very competitive but fun-loving way because you said it, baseball is still a kid's game. And, 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 they, and they were still keeping that to heart. And, and Elvis then 
continued that when Beltre left until Elvis eventually left. He kept that with the Rangers franchise, well, and you, you had even the, when they weren't very good. Yeah, you had that time, like, and they had some leaders on that. I mean, they had him and Michael Young together, and all that. They just it was a kind of a well-oiled machine. They they just those teams were really good together, and it does. Uh, you look back, and it just really sucks that Beltre in his career, never got to get that ring. And he's, he joins a long list of guys who were, you know, the Dan Marinos and Charles Barkleys of the world Ernie that Banks. were, you know, Ernie Banks that never got to do it. But uh, he did get close. And, you know, I, I do think that the Rangers still feel that the culture that he built is still there even years after he left. Yeah, he's a pro. And when you approached him in the locker room, and I did the first time I was uh, had a chance, and you could, he, he you know, he's, you got to kind of earn his trust. That doesn't mean you always have to do that in the media, but you could tell he uh, and and ended up with a a really good eight to nine minutes with him and enjoyed uh, his time. I, I is he Craig? He's your favorite Rangers player. Is there somebody oh, else that would be in that? Juan Gonzalez is still mine, but then eventually his career you know melted down because of uh, steroids and and just a bad attitude. But I I, I love watching him play. Yeah, I'd say uh, Adrian Beltre is right there. I mean, Corey Seager is quickly getting there. I mean, <laughs> you go win a World Series and do something that nobody's ever done and do it in the fashion that he did it and do it, you know, so consistently in the postseason and all of that. I mean, he's a hard guy not to like. But, yeah, I'd say Beltre is at the top um, because of just how fun-loving and uh, just entertaining he was and what a good guy he seemed to be. And so it's very excited for him. I normally don't pay too much attention to the Baseball Hall of Fame because there's typically not a lot of, like, Rangers ever involved. But uh, to see Beltre get that nod and to do it so convincingly where nearly unanimous is pretty awesome and very well-deserved, and I'm thrilled for him and, and the Rangers. All right, when we come back, Newey Scruggs, and he, of course, has been covering the Rangers, the Cowboys, the Mavericks, and more. He's also a huge college football fan. Uh, Newey Scruggs, next on 365 Sports idealmri.com I, I received this text message uh, from a, a customer that wanted and needed to get an MRI uh, mentioning that the ladies at the front at Ideal MRI who set up the schedule for you to get the MRI scheduled and then the day you arrived and all most of the paperwork has already been handled uh, by email and or online the lady sent a note to uh, Ideal MRI the ladies at front uh, worked above and beyond for me. I hadn't heard from my doctor. They called them for me to get everything set up. And the best part, I was able to go the same day I needed the MRI. The tech was very sweet, made sure I was comfortable, talked me through the process. I've told you that over and over again. You can't beat the price either. My insurance is not a part or in their network with them. And they were still cheaper than other places who took my insurance. The lady went on to say, I got a $2,200 MRI for only $450. I've also mentioned the price at $497 or less every single time. That's a $2,200 MRI, and the average is around $1,100, and so there you see why. I will always recommend them now. IdealMRI.com in the Central Texas Marketplace on the southern part of Waco off I-35. Cars price right Zoom with lots of room. Average your car in Texas. 
Want to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy. And, you know, I bring my kids, and my kids love being here too. They really love the treasure box. <laughs> Staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more stonewood-dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL Fund, BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. GXG, empowering student-athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL Activations. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Nui Scruggs, NBC Television, uh, uh, a man of many things when it comes to the media, tied in incredibly well, not just in the DFW area, but elsewhere, joins us. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, David Smoke on 365 Sports. New Dog, how you doing, young man? Hey, guys. Hey, good to talk I'm to great. you. I'm great. How you guys doing? Uh, Happy uh, New Year. You too. So, what does it mean? We just had T.R. Sullivan, of course, retired now, but... Start with the Adrian Beltre, and maybe your thoughts about when you covered the Rangers and what a pro's pro that he was. Well, I go back to 98 when he came with the Dodgers when I worked out there. And, um, you know, you saw this young guy, and, and he's just, people were just marveling at him, you know, at, at such a young age, you know, 19 years old, and just um, how great he was. Just he had such potential. And then to realize that it did take him, 
until he really came to Texas to get it all together. Because you saw flashes, but then you saw it all come together here. And so many people forget that Adrian was not on the 2010 team that went to the World Series and lost to the Giants. That team, so much of it was powered by Cliff Lee. And so they lost Cliff in, in the offseason, so they brought in Beltre. And I know I was one of those who thought, yeah, they'll be in the, you know, they won't make it back to the World Series. And sure enough, they made it back. Adrian was a huge part of it. And you could argue that that was probably a better team that didn't win the World Series. But Adrian was just such a, a special guy. And one of the things that's never really talked about enough of was his effect in the clubhouse. Because Adrian played hurt, other guys played hurt. Uh, Adrian being able to, you know, have the connection with the Latin players and English players made it such a cohesive clubhouse. And to have a Latin leader who who worked both, you know, sides of the clubhouse effectively really made the range such a harmonious place. And, and th- that kind of stuff is just so underestimated, in my opinion, because. You know, you have so many Latin players, and and they're not only comfortable with the Rangers, but but they, you know, they're comfortable. They're leaders. This is a very welcoming place here, and Adrian was a big part of making that happen. Yeah, Newey, his most famous story of playing injured is he he took one to the to the the bad spot and uh, had swelling and played through it. After that, like, how can another guy on the team be like, look, I'm not going to go out and play through this uh, sore hand uh, after he did that? I mean, everybody kind of just got in line behind him. You are correct. Michael Young played hurt. Uh, you know, Adrian played hurt. And, and it's no coincidence those teams won so many games. And and, they're, and those guys are so loved. And I was there in Arizona when they won the World Series, and Michael was on the field. Adrian was on the field. And Ian Kinsler. And, and those guys, are they're, they're beloved. And, and Adrian will soon take his place in the, you know, well, he already is in the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame and in Cooperstown with, with, the, with the, all the great legends. So, I, I do, guys. I, I'll tell you, you know, watching the Rangers win was really cool last fall, but I did have that sense of, man, those three guys having to watch it, knowing they were one strike away two times, not getting it. I did I did have a, a, a little sadness for them. So when you arrived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area from L.A., did you ever think, one, you would not cover the Cowboys in a Super Bowl setting or even a conference championship setting or that SMU would be a part of a Power 5 conference? So, Smokey, here's what's wild. My second TV job was in Austin. So in 93 and 94, I worked down there. That's when the Cowboys had they were elite, training yeah. camp at, at, St. Ed, at St. Ed. So I covered Jimmy's last team um, and Barry's first team. So I tell people, I have seen a Super Bowl team. You know, I mean, I, I'm so old. I was there when they inducted Tom Landry into the Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen yep. stuff. And, and so to come back here when Dave Campo was the head coach and to see it this long – no, you couldn't have told me that. I thought Parcells would have gotten them at least to a conference championship game. I really thought, you know, with Bill coming here and changing things around, and so everything was just at such a dramatic pace um, that, that would have gotten better, but it, it hasn't. And so to sit there, so my first year here in 2000, the Stars were already Stanley Cup champs, so they went back to the Cup. And so I've seen everyone else in town make it to the championship round except the Cowboys. And that, that is so wild. And we talk about, you know, not even getting to, to the final four. Um, it, 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 it's, it's wild, but now that I've been here so long, it's not wild um, because of how it, the team is run. And I asked Troikman last night at that Dallas, um, uh, the sports business journal uh, celebration of Dallas being the number one sports business city uh, in the U.S. I asked Troy, I said, is there a sense of entitlement? 
with the, with these guys here. And Troy kind of laughed, you know, because he was such a trained media guy. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play this one down the middle. So he didn't say yeah, but he walked <laughs> all around saying yeah. <laughs> and basically like, you know, Jerry makes it, you know, pretty comfortable for these guys. But but, but it's true. They are. They are. And, um, and you know, you think about it. So also, too, I, back when I covered, when I was in Austin, it was the Southwest Conference, guys. You know? Yeah, they were. It was the yeah. Southwest Conference. Yeah, I mean, that's what I covered, Southwest Conference. So, um, no, nah, man, you could have told me all the stuff would happen that, you know, SMU would one day be in the AC, be in the ACC of all things. Or that even, you know, TCU would find themselves in the Big 12. Because mm-hmm. at that point in time, they were all getting casted out. So the world has changed, man. It's wild, wild. Nui, um the Cowboys, though, and I, like I watched, uh, you know, the video of Aikman uh, last night, and you know, it does. It's hard to put your finger on, though, because you know, by most organization standards, they've done everything better, save from about five or six in the league that are consistently just make you know that one better draft decision than the Cowboys, or one better free agent signing, or just have kind of the the better vibe, but. Three 12 year win seasons in a row, one playoff win to show for that in all of it. I mean, like, there's, there's not a whole lot other than like entitlement and like trying to find some sort of edge that you can put your finger on, right? To, to change the fortunes of this team. Nothing happens when they get beat from the standpoint of there's, there's no repercussions. There's no, no, they're not running anybody out. Everybody's comfortable. Okay. People here are comfortable. And I do the commentary talking about it. as much as I personally love Jerry, and I do. He's been the constant here for 28 years. You've gone through coaches, you've gone through players. So where do we go to with you? And Troy talked a little bit about that, about how you know it's comfortable around here. I remember when I won't say his name, but his assistant coach came from another team that had won a Super Bowl. So this man's been a part of a Super Bowl team, and he said, "Man, this is different. It's not about football." I remember last year, so they had an OTA one day, right? This, we were doing our podcast at the start. And so they're having the Country Music Awards, or whatever they call it, ACM. It was one of them country shows. So they took over the star um, in the Ford Field because the country show was going to be right there. So they, they were indoor. So indoor facility unavailable because that's where the show was. And then they had the two practice fields on the outside. Well, the one on the left was full with a bunch of trailers. So all the stars had places to go. So that thing all all throughout that whole field was packed. So it was just one field that was open. And that's where they were holding OTA. And it rained. And so they canceled it. <laughs> mm. All right, get out the rain. There's no way to go. Just go this way, guys. <laughs> just like, where else does this happen? You know? <laughs> yeah, man, we got all right, we got an indoor, but we can't use it because, you know, Reba McIntyre is about to perform. <laughs> <laughs> we can't, you know, just, yeah, go some ways to go home, guys. We'll just, you know, hopefully it doesn't rain tomorrow. And, and, and literally, I said to myself, where else does a team like the Cowboys, anybody else operate like the Cowboys and wins championships? They don't. They don't. And, and it starts at the top. As much as I love the people at the top, I love family, they're great. I love, but they are the constant. So Jalen Smith, I remember when Jalen Smith linebacker. So mm-hmm. there was a one time, the first time ever they got knocked off Sunday Night Football, got flexed out. I've been at NBC since they've had Sunday Night Football. And they get a minimum of three games every year. You can only be on three games. The Cowboys are always on three games. So they were bad. 
and they got flexed out. And so we asked Jalen about it. He's like, hey, man, the owner ain't tripping. We ain't tripping. And it was kind of like, you guys in the media are tripping. And we're just thinking, ourselves, man, you're the 12 o'clock spot now, you know? You, you no shame about that. Like, you know, you're just here with everybody else instead of being, you know, the America's game of the week or, you know, a Sunday night football, you know, the, the game. You you satisfied playing it, t- kicking off at 12 o'clock. Like, okay, now you just appear with the Carolina Panthers of the world. And they was, he was okay with it. And I'm like, that's the kind of mentality that, it, that you know, people are too comfortable. People are entitled. And too many guys walk around here like they've won something. And then when they get, you know, knocked out of the playoffs, uh, Micah Parsons doesn't talk to the media, runs on out the door. Tank Lawrence runs on out the door. I've got nothing to say. And you, know, you never saw that from Dirk Nowitzki. You would see that from Michael Young. You know, if you want to be a star and you want to be there when it's good, you got to be here for the whole damn deal. Not just when it's convenient, but when you don't want to answer the tough questions about why you guys can't keep, why you keep coming up short when you spent the whole week telling us about how, you know, hey, you're going to get it done. And you didn't get it done. And I think that's a part of what I talk about the entitlement and what I've seen around here. It, it goes unchecked, which I don't think is right. You owe these fans to be able to stand up there and say, this is what happened. Why it went wrong. I mean, guys, how many times – I mean, I smoke you and I were there in Fort Worth at that great Carolina-Baylor game. Yep. The dudes, they all – you know what? Those kids went up there and answered the questions. They answered the questions, and they, you know, it's like they, that was part of being a Baylor Bear. You know, you go up there with Coach Drew, you answer the questions, and, and, and you, you know, this is a part of it. But not these dudes, man. They go slinking on out the back. I'm like, man, that's just hogwash. And then covering it, covering the Rangers during this time, too. Win, lose, or draw. There's Marcus Simeon. There's Corey Seager. You know, losing pitches right there to answer the damn questions. But these Cowboys, man, these dudes just run out the back door. Some of them do. I'm just like, come on, man. Yeah, that's a great example. We we saw you in Fort Worth for that game, and and I remember you and I uh, finally saw each other for the first time in a while, and I'm glad we did. And and you're right. Uh, Aikman mentioned that there are tours going on, like you'd mentioned, like the the Country Western Awards or Music Awards or whatever, and, and that that hey, just go walk on the upper level and practice is going on and, and, and all of that. Craig, you got one more about uh, college football with Newey? Yeah, Newey, uh, with SMU, the schedule's now been released by the ACC. They're going to open ACC play, welcoming in Florida State. So, a huge game. Uh, Paul, the FSU alum's already got his uh, car ride planned up there. <laughs> and, and there's some various other games of interest, but we know the commitment that SMU has made. They saw that the, the boat, the big yacht of college football was drifting off, and they had one more opportunity to go join the, the big ranks, so to speak. And, and they did that. They found a way to do that. My question is, is it going to register the way that they hope in Dallas and Fort Worth? Is this going to bring bigger crowds? We know they've got the money, but with all the other stuff that they would like to come with that, is that going to happen with them joining the ACC? I hope so. I, I really do. I mean, it's, it's interesting. They got Florida State, especially after Florida State, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yep. basically blasted them. <laughs> illegal filing to try to get out the cops. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, look, you're going to go from here comes Tulsa to here comes FSU. So, yeah, it matters. And, look, I, I cover TCU, and I tell people all the time, you know, there's a big damn difference when there's Dion here and, and, and it's just a regular old opponent. Um, it matters. And, and when you're trying to get – because, look, let's be honest. You know, in this Metroplex area, it's Longhorns fans. It's Aggie fans here. So so SMU and TCU, they're fighting for this. And, and North Texas, they're trying to fight for other other sets of folks here. So it matters who comes in here. 
So, you know, you get a Florida State to come in here. You get a Texas A&M to come in here. Man, it matters. You get an Oklahoma and you get them at your place. You've got an opportunity to, to go ahead and, and not only fill the stands, but I like to say that's a, that's a ticket where you put, like, another team on there that normally people won't show up. For instance, if you're asking me, like, hey, you want the Florida State game, you got to buy the Boston College. Yeah, game absolutely. Yep. <laughs> you, attach, you attach somebody else with it. Like, oh, by the way, you got to come see them, too. So, you know, that, that's how you sell the tickets there. But I'm happy for SMU and, and me being it, growing up and spending so much time in the ACC. I'm excited for basketball and what could come here. But, you know, we're just, we're just lucky in this state. To, to see, you know, so many great teams. But just from a basketball standpoint, between the Big 12 and the ACC in the state of Texas, how, how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, hopefully, and you guys know this well, we can get some more of these kids to stay in the state of Texas. That's one of the things for basketball that really bugs me is not being able to keep kids here. Scott's done a great job of keeping kids here, but just too many of them leave, man. And, and just hopefully now it gives them more of a reason to stay. Well, look, Noe, I'll just tell you, John Machota and I have already talked. We're going to be there. So, yeah. Uh, he's, he's a big we've already done it. So. So, so, yeah, now three Power Five schools, uh, our three Power Five conference are a part of this state with the SEC, the ACC, and also the Big 12. And it's great for what you do. It's great for what we do at covering college football and some of the other things as well. Nui, great to hear from you. Have a great day. Anything in particular you want to tease? Uh, no, guys. No, just, hey, look, just, just happy, happy to be here, man. You know, we see what's been happening across our, you know, the sporting landscape, the folks at, at Sports Illustrated, LA Times, yep, man. Yep. We're just, we're lucky that we get to come and, you know, keep, keep cranking that stuff out here. So, you know, thanks to all your listeners and, and, you know, for, for what they're doing to just keep you guys on the air, man, because it's important. It is important, man, that we can keep these jobs and feed our families and keep on entertaining. So God bless, guys. Talk you to too. you later. Newey Scruggs, NBC5 and NBC Television with us on 365 Sports Around the Corner. Chris Kapilovic, the head, uh, the, I keep saying that the line coach for Baylor will be next. You want to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's take a look at SMU uh, here real quick. Uh, they'll have, what, Houston Christian, BYU, an open week, and then TCU, all those games at home the first month. So they'll be... 2 and 0 0 and 2 1 and 1 against the Big 12 uh, mm-hmm. in their first month of the season that'll be bragging rights or they'll get you know slammed from the opposite side of things but now that they're in a power conference so like there's they're looking eye to eye with TCU and Baylor yep. and, and those schools so those Big 12 games actually mean a little bit more now because you're not just the underdog fighting up any longer mm-hmm. so that's a, a nice non-conference there with BYU and TCU and then the big Florida State game that will kick off their ACC experience then three road games in the next month, uh, Louisville, Stanford, and Duke, because we all put those schools in the conference together in our heads, of course. <laughs> uh, Pitt uh, at home, op- another open week, because everybody in college will have two open weeks this year, which is a, a funky little deal, but that's how it's going to work. Then BC at home, Virginia on the road, and then Cal at home. So, um you know what? That's like partially what I think of when I think of like the ideal schedule. Like Florida State's great, and a couple of those others are cool, but it's not like Miami, UNC, uh, you know, yeah. FSU. It, like it's not exactly what you think, but with these bigger conferences, that's also kind of the deal. But I don't, it's, it's definitely a step up from what you were playing with it, all due respect. They're not know? playing those teams to feed their coffers right. uh, uh, on the road or at home. To play Florida State, BYU, TCU, TCU, of course, well, has been around as a, as a rival and a pretty salty one too. 
Louisville and FSU, like to start out your ACC schedule with the top two teams from the last year, it's pretty awesome if you're an SMU fan. I mean, like, you know, that you're going to get to see where you stand with them right off the bat. There's some interesting signs at that game. FSU continues to. <laughs> FSU gets screwed to the ACC. About FSU. Go out of their way yeah. to screw them with the schedule. Yeah. I don't think they have based on what I've seen, but. No. All no. right. Uh, Chris Kapilovic, uh, Baylor offensive line coach. We're going to get perhaps more into that schedule to kind of highlight some of the better games. Also, Mike Craven at 520 on the Texas State story involving Jason DeLora and Jaden Jaden DeLora and also Paul's top five. This is 365 Sports. I drove a Wagoneer, 2024 Wagoneer L for the last four or five days. Went back to the dealership at Alvin Samuels earlier today. And I got to tell you, uh, man, what an amazing vehicle. Space that you can't even explain unless you get inside that car. There are three rows. Eight people can sit in there. And then on top of that, you can see that's back of the third row. There's still plenty of room behind that, whether it's for your golf clubs or whatever you went and bought at the store, groceries, whatever. It is an alpha. Uh, thanks to uh, Ted Teague, general manager, CEO of Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat. I drove to Temple and back for a doctor's appointment. It was pouring down rain, and there was a lot of traffic and a lot of 18-wheelers, and I never blinked uh, because it was so smooth. And if anyone got near me or anything in front of me started to slow down, your car, that car, the 2024 Wagoneer is going to let you know. It's got that sudden stop if somebody was like just to cut out in front of you so it saves you, the car, and also whoever that idiot was that maybe jumped out in front of you. It is loaded. The screen when you're driving is like having a flat screen right there in the car, but it's not a distraction. If you want the amenities of an elite luxury vehicle, an SUV and everything else combined, that is a great vehicle. It drove well. It's the 2024 Wagoneer L Baltic Gray Metallic Clear Exterior Paint, uh, Capri Leather Trim Seats, and again, Hurricane Twin Turbo for start and stop. It is Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, Loop 340, east of 84 in Waco. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Penny Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. 
semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help is finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. All right, we're back 365 Sports starting this 5 o'clock hour. Chris Kapilovic, the offensive line coach at Baylor, joins us with Paul Craig and David Smoke. Glad you're with us, Coach. Thanks for your time. So we had Coach Spavital, Jared Anderson on, and this is the week that you guys finally had a chance to even meet your players. What has that been like for you in the offensive line room? Well, appreciate you having me, and it was uh, great to be able to be in the room with those guys and out on the field a little bit. And You know, I, I could just see they're, they're, they're eager to work and get better, and that was good to see. So I, I like the I like the energy in the room and the offensive side. I think the kids are ready to buy into it, doing new things, different ways, and, and they're fired up to do it. Coach, you're taking over a position group that that had a rough season last year. They weren't very cohesive for a lot of the time, and and had their issues. Um, I, I, I'm trying. To, I'm struggling with the way to put it, but like, do you feel like you're kind of starting on the ground floor, rebuilding an offensive line, or is it is it uh, is it maybe not that that bleak? Well, it's probably not fair for me to give a true evaluation until we get on the field and get going in spring ball. I did watch some tape. You know, there were some young players that had to play before they were probably ready. So those reps will be valuable in the future. Uh, they had to move some guys. It looked like they moved some guys around, played two, three different positions. to trying to get some cohesiveness there. And I do see some talented guys. There's some guys in there. We got some tackles with some length. Uh, we felt like we needed to get bigger inside, and we were able to do that through the portal with a couple uh, guards. So I feel like there's, there's obviously – some guys to work with here, but I, I probably can't give you a true evaluation until we get out there and get going. Coach, so with being able to start getting together uh, beginning this week, what are you guys, for, for those who don't know what they're out, allowed to do, and how are you using that time uh, to teach or, or to do whatever it is that you're looking to get accomplished during this time period? Well, it's a very short window, and there's a ton to go over. You know, when you're starting new coach, new system, new offense, there's a lot to go over, so it's like drinking water through a fire hose. We're trying to give them as much information as possible, but not to overwhelm them, and they have to have patience. And obviously, once we get off the road recruiting, we're there every day. You know, we'll be able to spend a little more time with them. They'll be able to come see us. So, you know, you really get about 30 minutes of meeting time, and and that's twice a week. And then you get about 30 minutes on the field, and it's not full speed. It's not contact, but you get to at least kind of move around, take some steps, and start understanding what we're trying to accomplish. So, Chris, what's the difference as far as – and there's a huge difference, the wide zone compared to what Coach Spavital's going to run. And as you're a part of it, too, and we had Jared Anderson, as I mentioned yesterday, is that a culture shock or is that most of these young men have probably played at some point in a spread offense in high school or somewhere? Yeah, I think most of these uh, kids have probably played or played some form of fashion of what we're doing. It, it's really not – 
the biggest difference is we're we're more of a tight zone uh, duo world where things are going to be more vertical from the running back, and we need to get vertical movement with the D line as opposed to stretching it sideline to sideline, and that's the biggest difference. So there's some pluses and minuses there, obviously depending on who you are as a player, your size, your strength. But we will also do some other things that that you know running some gap schemes and some things like that that most of these players have done some parts of this. So some people hear air raid or, or spread offense and think you're just going to throw it 60 times a game. That's not what we want to be. We do want to have a physical running game and be able to throw off of it. Chris Kapilovic is with us, a Baylor offensive line coach with us on 365 Sports. Did you have any, a previous history with, with Dave Aranda at all outside of, uh, you know, of this of this now marriage with you coming in here or uh, was it just maybe, you know, shifts passing in the night? Yeah. I've never met Dave until now. Hmm. Uh, I've had some people that have worked with him that I'm very close to. So knew of him, knew about him. Obviously, you know, you're aware of when he became one of the national champions as a defensive coordinator. And, and then again, when, uh, you know, obviously they had the great year in 21. So, but me and him had never had a conversation before I, I came up here and, and talked to him about the job. Coach, how do you go about building relationships? What are kind of your, your starting points? And how much more difficult has just the general, I guess, atmosphere of college football, college athletics the last few years? How, how has that changed that to any degree for better or worse? Well, it's definitely more transitional, right? You, you, you've got guys coming and going um, at a quicker pace. You know, the old line room will probably be the, I, I don't know the words I want to use, it's the last room to just kind of probably go crazy with this. You know, a lot of those kids, you know, when I was at Michigan State, I didn't have hardly any of them leave, and, and we just brought in a couple portal guys in our time there. And then, you know, I still want to recruit high school kids and develop them, and then the portal will be just to fill in the gaps, which we're trying to do right now. So, but it, it's still, at the end of the day, it's still about relationships, still about, you know, me earning the players' respect and the players earning my respect, and it's about the work. And I think like anything else, when the kids know that, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about and he does care about us, he has our back, then he's going to let me – they're going to let me push them as, as hard as I need to to get where we need to go. You could have a bunch of wide receivers in the game at once. You could have – even some teams have five down linemen on defense – cornerbacks, nickel, dime, whatever you do when it comes to the defensive backs. But is this the position that you coach that is absolutely must be like a completely cohesive unit for everything else to work? No question. You, you, you got to have five guys working together to have success. Uh, you know, you could have 10 guys on offense going the right direction. And if one of the linemen isn't, then you're probably not going to have a positive play. So uh, the, the cohesiveness, uh, you know, the, the closeness, even the brotherhood that you, you kind of develop off the field and guys getting used to working with each other and knowing what the other guy's thinking. But you have to have five guys understanding and going the right direction to have any success on offense. You mentioned earlier, you know, guys maybe playing out of position and changing that. It, it, you know, part of, is that part of that going like, listen, I know that everybody's always told you you're a guard, but you're a tackle. I know that everybody told you you're a tackle, you're a guard. How difficult is that to navigate when you're when you are building an offensive line? Sure, there, there's a lot to that, and, and you know that it's obviously if you move a guy from 
guard to tackle or tackle the guard and they haven't done it before, then they're going to be uncomfortable, you know, and they're going to, it's going to take some time for them to buy into it. And then it's also, as we talk about it, you don't really know, you know, until we get out there and we're practicing and, and getting out there in spring, where, where will this guy be able to help us best? You kind of have an idea. You know, you want them to learn the base offense. You always want guys to be able to play multiple positions because that's important. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. So it, it's a little bit about just trying to get a feel for what I saw on film and their body structures, and then you have to make changes as you go along. Chris, uh, Coach Kapilovic, you were at the uh, game in Orlando when Baylor did not have a quarterback. <laughs> um, and Johnny Jefferson went off with nearly 300 yards. What was that experience like? You guys were really, really good with Coach Fedora, and obviously they were trying to figure it out and and had just had their quarterback room destroyed with injuries. Yes, I uh, I see reminders of that throughout the building, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess – I guess, thankfully, I wasn't on the defensive staff. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I brought it up. I, I thought it would be a little bit easier. I wouldn't have brought it up so if we, you were the D-line coach, no. Yeah, yeah. we we were able to move the ball and score some points on offense, but, yeah, our defense really struggled. I, I, I guess, you know, I don't know if they got caught by surprise or they just weren't really sure what to expect, and it basically was just them running basically a formal Wildcat offense mm-hmm. against us. And, and once they got in a rhythm, it was, it was hard for them to stop them, so – uh, yeah, I have memories of that. They'll be with me for a long time. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, now it was funny there is, is I think if you look at the old line coaches in that game, we, we kind of switched places, right? The old yeah. line coach that was at Baylor is now mm-hmm. North Carolina, and now I'm here. So it's a small world, funny how it works. So what is a, a, a more intense or good emotion or the, the spectrum? Taking the opposing defensive's will with the offensive line hammering them and wearing them down, or the frustration of a false start when you have a nice drive going? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a tough question right there. Uh, You know, there's nothing better than the O-line taking over, and and you can see the D-line tapping those hats and really wanting to get out of it. So um, you're you're the opposite ends of the spectrum. That's that's the highest point as an O-line coach. And then the lowest point is when we make a, a dumb pre-snap penalty. Um, you know, that that's tough. Because you feel like as a coach, that's you out there, right? It's not me pointing at that guy. It's, it's part of us. So, um, you know, they're, they're trying to make some adjustments with these teams that will bark out, you know, uh, verbal commands and stem real quick. And they haven't quite come, come away from it yet. But I'm hoping that will happen at some point. But, yeah, it, it is. A drive killer with a false start stuff this wall. Okay, why why does it seem and look, false start is a five yard penalty. Holding is a ten yard penalty. It seems to me to be easier, even though you have more yardage to gain back after a holding penalty than a false start. Is it just the mental aspect of kicking yourself after a false start as we're holding? Sometimes you're just doing it to make sure your quarterback doesn't get leveled. That's a good point. I haven't heard it that way before. And I think that, yeah, I think, like I said, pre-snap penalties are, are just, you know, you feel like you really failed as a player, you know, because there's no excuse for it, obviously. And then sometimes holding part of the game, we call that an aggressive penalty. You know, sometimes uh, maybe you have to do it to save your quarterback. Sometimes it's, you know, it's really just a good block and, and you dominate them so well that the refs see it as a whole. So, you know, aggressive penalties you can live with as long as there's not too many. 
But the pre-snap penalties, those are the ones that you, you, you can't you can't have. Coach, I saw in your Twitter feed, and I know you got to go. We do appreciate a lot of uh, the time we have now and also in the future. You have hashtag Juice Squad. What does that mean? Well, it's a good question. You know, I know when I get some of the dads that were around the 80s and 90s, they may think of it a different version of Juice Squad than what I'm talking about. But, you know, basically <laughs> as an old line, <laughs> we have a, you know, everybody knows, anybody that knows football, you're as good as your old line. The old line uh, has got to be the engine of the team. And our thing is about the juice squad is bringing the juice every day and it's having the energy, the focus, and that's in the classroom, that's in the meeting room, that's on the field. So we should be the leaders of everything we do on the team and in the weight room. So, you know, juice, energy, that's what juice squad's about. You know, nobody really ever points out good things for the old line, right? If there's a run for 50 yards and nobody touches the running back, it's a great run, right? Oh, he yeah. gets hit in the backfield, he gets hit in the backfield, the old line's terrible. And so, or the only time that old line's number gets called is when there's a penalty. So, you know, my guys, they got, they'll have hoodies, uh, hats. We even had a juice squad chain that the, the old lineman of the week got to wear. And, and at the end of the year, he gets to keep it. So I, I, I think it's important for me to promote my guys and for us to kind of have, you know, what's our brand, our mantra, and, and that's where that juice squad comes from. Last thing, Chris, thank you for your time again, is that uh, I've watched some of your press conferences, whether you're at Michigan State or elsewhere, you seem to kind of have that that full throttle. I don't know if I was a old school, but it seems like you are full throttle. Are most offensive line coaches like that? I, I've been known to be full throttle, yes. I, I have a lot of energy. Like, like I tell our guys, we're different off the field than we are between the white lines. And I feel like as a coach, I, I need to be the same way. You know, it's motivation. And, and it's never personal. And I'm pushing my guys. My job is to make them better than they think they can be, right? Um, I, I always give a funny analogy, but I said sometimes, you know, if you look at cattle, they don't want to move, right? So they have to use a cattle prod, right? Well, I can't <laughs> legally use a cattle prod, so I have to be the cattle prod. So that's where that comes from. And, and you know, no, not all line coaches are that way. So I, I think everybody's got to be who they are. The best online coaches are going to be within their personality and who they are because the kids, they're smart. They can tell if you're genuine or not, right? So I think that's an individual basis, and that's just who I am. Chris, thanks for your time, Coach. Thanks for your time. We'll see you down the road, and good luck with these meetings going on right now and also moving into the rest of the uh, semester and eventually spring drills. Have a great day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Chris Kapilovic, offensive line coach. He started out at Alabama State. Missouri State, Southern Miss, and then uh, North Carolina. That's the connection to Fedora. Uh, And then uh, he was at Colorado in 2019. Michigan State, the last four years, and now the offensive line coach for Dave Aranda and Baylor. Uh, Yeah, good to hear, Coach, and uh, get to know him a little bit and get to hear him a little bit. And looking forward to them getting out there and actually being able to practice here in a few weeks and get to see a little bit more of his coaching style and uh, just how he goes about his business along with a lot of the other new faces. But it's a big year for Dave Aranda and uh, a lot of the fan base uh, desperately wanting to see some strides forward. And they've made a lot of changes, including Coach Kapilovic. And so we'll see if it's uh, 
you know, all going to add up to greater success than we've seen the past couple of seasons. That's certainly the hope, and uh, he's got a big task there with the offensive line, but, um, you know, there's a lot of good players. I do think that some of their struggles last year, uh, people hate to hear it that are Baylor fans, but youth is valid in some Mm. cases. It's not the reason why they lost the games they did necessarily. It's not the reason why everything can be placed at the, the feet when it comes to blame of, of youth, but it is valid to point out in a lot of cases, and they were young in some spots on the O-line. This is going to be a different style, but it's not one that's going to be like a drastic overnight, you know, long process uh, type of a change. So I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Yeah, they. Um, I would say there were three overarching issues with the offensive line last year. They had one player, again, I don't wanna, I'm not going to call him out. I just don't think it's a – Division one starter, but they had him there because he knew the system. Uh, then they had guys out of position, like they just they flipped a whole bunch of guys around mid season after the bye week, and uh, I get that that's when you do that, but they they did that kind of too late, uh, and then they played better at least in pass protection after that because guys were more comfortable in those spots. But then what Craig said, youth, especially at left tackle, they, like everybody was playing left tackle was their first season playing left tackle, so uh, they they had you know, all that going on, and it just it just wasn't right. And then they, I, I also think you have four, if you want to add another one, I think they didn't have the right guys, like, scheme fit-wise for the, the offensive lineman you have. Because yeah. sometimes you've got zone guys, which, you know, they had zone guys before, and then they, they kind of found their way into some spread guys, and that's what they have right now, which is one of the big reasons you change the system. I don't know who they have now, but that's yeah. what Chris Kapilovic is here to do. And, of course, Eric Mateos now – is the offensive line coach up at Arkansas. Yeah, a note from uh, elsewhere out in the college football world is, you know, breaking news is it feels uh, needed to be passed along. Five-star wide receiver Ryan Williams, who decommitted from Alabama, has recommitted from or to Alabama and to Kalen DeBoer, and he was somebody who initially after – Saban retired, uh, opened things up, and now clearly heard what he needed to hear and saw what he needed to see and, and whatever else. But uh, the Alabama natives staying in Alabama and will be with the Tide. So that's a big get for Kalen DeBoer to bring back into the fold. And, I mean, shoot, if you're a wide receiver, I don't think that's that hard of a sell, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, based on what – just here's my 2023 film for my wide receivers. Here you go. Here's Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think that was probably an easier sell uh, for that position in particular. But, man, he had uh, – Texas was interested. Others were interested. And, and so he's heading back to Bama. Where is Bernard going? Uh, Bama. Bama. So, okay, so there, that, he was another probably, one that was a, a weapon. It just wasn't as big a name or the bigger stack. He was like oh, the fourth guy yeah, in yeah. line behind a terrific trio. Yeah, right? it's, hard, it's hard to get to the front when those three guys are in front of you. Yeah, it's, those guys. Um, so uh, Chris Marshall played at A&M's, had some issues, went to Ole Miss. Uh, he's headed now to Boise State. What we have said now is the average of most who get it to the transfer portal will have three teams. will be fun to watch if they ever make it to the pros, and he's got – to get, uh, he's got to grow this, up a little bit. It's technically his fourth. That's that's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, Kil- Kilgore Junior. Kil- Kilgore's, you know, a, a good. It's a good spot for guys to go to get the, like Tyler's the best place, place to go. Yeah, Trinity <laughs> yes. Valley's a good. Place but those to go. are good places yeah. to go. Like I do, um, I do think that we and we've talked about this before that like JUCOs have lost a little bit of their steam lately because of the transfer portal. But they lost it before that. But, yeah, but they they do. It's not a. It's it's a good thing for a lot of people because, you know, going from – and this is not even for kids who have problems off the field. It's just sometimes you need a couple years just to like learn that, 
you know, nobody's there to like tell you like, Hey, get up, go to class, you know, get in the car. Like, you know, some people don't adjust that well to it. Yeah, I think, though, that with the transfer portal now, you don't really need to go JUCO unless you're having issues. Mm-hmm. So if you have grades or attitude issues, like to the point of like teams are like, we're not going to bring you on campus or you need to go – like uh, grades, obviously, you got to get those ironed out. I think that's still your bulk of your junior college players now because if you go – you start off at Auburn and it doesn't work out because you got an attitude issue, you can just go jump in the transfer portal. Whereas before, you know, it's it's not as many options out there for you. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the, the JUCO ranks have, have been hit. I mean, the high school ranks have clearly been hit pretty hard. Uh, that's for sure. But yeah, you wonder where the JUCO sort of fall in there. They're they're um, very much in in the rear. But uh, yeah, that's that's still a place for guys. And there's still some success stories like a Cam Newton uh, that comes out of, of the JUCO ranks and, and goes on to have really stellar careers or go win championships and whatnot. But yeah, it's not. It, it, I almost forget they're there, honestly, at this point, uh, the, the junior college ranks. I, I really do because the transfer portal just seems like guys just bounce around, whereas before they might leave a school, go JUCO for a year, come back. Now it's it's not as much the case. Yeah, I was probably uh, in Tyler uh, Junior College, and I, I, I might have been there probably as good at junior college football at the time with the, what I saw back in the, what was the early late 70s when I was there. Uh, Baylor dipped into the JUCO ranks, a couple of guys uh, that are adding to what they need, some of the needs they have. When we come back, uh, we will hear from Mike Craven, his thoughts about the G.J. Kitty, Texas State, uh, Jaden Delora story, and more. And this is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on and the people that I've counted on and over the years, over 20-plus years, Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have counted on for great customer service and for great offers and for just great service in general, whatever you're trying to get done with your vehicle or whatever you're trying to get done when it comes to your goals uh, with your automobile, buying new, buying pre-owned, selling your vehicle. They can help out with all of that and more. And right now, they've got the perfect combination of first-class luxury and value like no other in sport utility vehicle, ranked the number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers. Buick Envision offers amazing value as an SUV, and right now... You can save $5,000 on the Buick Envisions, and qualified buyers can get 1.9% financing on Buick's top-rated SUVs, plus military and first responders can also save an additional $500 on top of those previously mentioned savings. So that's one of the new vehicle offers that they have out there when it comes to the Buick lineup, but uh, you might also be looking to get something a little bit more on the cheap, something a little bit already worn in, a used vehicle. Well, they've got plenty of options when it comes to that as well because they trade for the best, and therefore they have a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks also in stock, 100 used cars and trucks to choose from, all inspected already with a 172-point inspection and the Richard Carr seal of approval, plus a financing goal at Richard Carr that is 100% credit approval as they say yes when others say no. So check out the deals going on right now at the business that's been in business for 24 years in Central Texas and over the years has built a reputation as the people you can count on for your automotive needs. Richard Carr, run by proud Central Texans, proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcarr.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. 
pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears! Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC an equal housing lender. Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL Fund, BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. GXG, empowering student-athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL Activations. This is 365 Sports. The Sikkim 365 app is brought to you by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Come by, let's be friends. Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, joins us on 365 Sports. And of course, there's always 
two to five stories in college football that happened during the show that we try to bring your way, including the Texas State statement on Jaden Delara, who's no longer a part of that university, and Mike joins us on 365 Sports. Mike, I know you had the statement you released, you saw that. Is is this a school that said, no, it's okay, you come play here, and gave G.J. Kinney that approval and changed their mind? Uh, I don't know if it exactly went that way. I admit, you know, he's been at Washington State. He's been at Arizona. You know, I, I don't know. And this probably varies school to school how much the athletic director and the university president and, and the admin sign off on each and every single uh, commitment or transfer that come in there. So I, I don't know if the admin, if the leaders above G.J. Kinney kind of understood the situation. But once, you know, it leaked out there and, and everything got talked about in terms of his, you know, uh, allegation of sexual harassment from when he was a minor. I think that kind of took over um, the conversation, especially online and, and within that fan base, and, and it kind of you know stormed out of there. And, and, and today, uh, the release was made. So, how did this get to the point where they even considered bringing him in? Considering T.J. Finley uh, was coming back until this news. Yeah, I think this is the new reality of the transfer portal, right? Uh, T.J. Kin. TJ Finley plays, you know, at Auburn, doesn't play all that well, isn't the starter anymore, transfers to Texas State and has this huge year. He was pretty non-committal uh, about if he was going to come back or not during those bowl practices. He wouldn't say for sure yes or no. Uh, he, he was definitely kind of looking at things behind the scenes and seeing, you know, what his options are, which is perfectly his right and I think something that athletes should do. But on the other side, that means the coaches need to start kicking the tires on who the quarterback's going to be if it's not going to be T.J. Finley and what the backup plan is. And I think they got so far down the road with Delora, they they decided to take the commitment. I think they like his upside and what he could do as a dual threat. He could run the ball in a way that T.J. Finley can't, and that's something that G.J. Kinney and Mac Leftwich like in their offense. And so I think they saw it as a slight upgrade. Since they had gone so far down the road with him, they were going to take him as a commitment. If that meant losing T.J. Finley, it meant losing T.J. Finley. A week later, they don't have either, so it looks like a very bad decision. Yeah, Mike, so I guess part of the question is what do they do now? But I guess first of all is any insight or understanding into, I guess, the reaction so far to this news from the staff? Because I'd imagine, you know, you, you think things are going one way, and then obviously they – there's a bit of a curveball here, and now you also are in this situation where you do still need a quarterback, obviously. So uh, any insight on kind of how the coaching staff has reacted to the Delora uh, withdrawal, and uh, what do they do from here, I guess? You know, I, I think they're frustrated, but they're as much frustrated with themselves. This is a young coaching staff, you know. I mean, G.J. Kinney just had his first year as an FBS coach. He's had two years of a head coach, you know, at the college level. Uh, I think he just turned 35. Uh, Mac Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, uh, not yet even 30. Uh, the, the assistant coach that, that kind of vouched for Delora and brought him in just took the offensive coordinator job at San Jose State. So that probably played a little bit of factor too, kind of the guy who kind of was the gap there or you know the point of connection who could stand up for the kid on the table and say, hey, he's not uh, what they're saying. He, he's no longer there. So, so I, I think that played a part in it as well. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those lessons learned uh, type deals, maybe you know, for a young coaching staff who you know still trying to figure out all the all the ins and outs of how this stuff works. And today's climate, you just you're just not going to get away with that kind of thing. Mike, do you feel like this could be um, a wart between the relationship between Texas State administration and GJ Kenny? 
I, I guess it could, depending on, you know, behind the scenes, how it was taken, if there's any pushback or, or whatever. But I, I don't think so. I think it's one blip on the radar. Again, it was a young coach making, you know, a poor decision. Uh, but I, I don't think it was a, a horrible decision or something. You know, like, Delore is going to go be on a college camp or a college roster somewhere. He's going to play football somewhere. He's been playing football, you know, on the college level for the last few years when everybody's known this was out. Um, and so I, I think it's kind of a, uh, one of those deals that it depends on the university and the fan base and, and the one at Texas State uh, was vocal enough about their displeasure and, and it led us to, to this decision. So, Mike, how do they make it through spring ball with the quarterbacks on the roster? Yeah, they got a couple of young guys, P.J. Hatter, uh, redshirt freshman that a lot, of the, a lot of the guys that I know in the recruiting industry really liked and thought was underrated. So they're going to, you know, get a lot of reps for the young guys that are there, but they're absolutely going to be in the market for a quarterback in, in the spring transfer portal window, you know, no doubt about that. Mike, uh, what kind of a, I guess, buzz is there in San Marcos at this point after the season that Kenny and crew had? I, I feel like, you know, kind of says a little bit of a blip on the radar. They're still expected to be pretty good. Um, and obviously the trajectory is, is moving upward for Kenny and staff. But uh, I don't recall really talking a whole lot of Texas State football over the years necessarily. <laughs> and, and heard a lot more about them these last few months, you know? Yeah, I mean, they ha- they're they coming off their best season ever in the history of, of being an FBS program, which isn't long. I think it's like 11 or 12 seasons. But still, they won eight games. They won their first bowl game and the first time they've ever gone to a bowl game. Uh, a lot of the attendance was really up. I want to say the attendance was up 20% uh, over last year. So a lot of excitement there. I mean, Kenny left which they have a really exciting uh, style of play. Now, obviously, they, they went into Baylor and beat Baylor to start the season, and that, that really kind of you know ignited them there. And so what was interesting to me about this, and it kind of reminded me of TCU hiring Kendall Bryles after the national championship run, is, you know, every coach I know, and that's a decent amount of them, always talk about not wanting distractions and to, mm-hmm. to keep the outside noise outside and to not do anything that brings a light into what you're doing there. And, you know, Sonny Dykes can build up all that goodwill. You go 12-0, and 0, you're in the championship game, and then you lose by as much as you lose, and then you, you hire an offense coordinator with a last name that's not you know, all that accepted well in, in Fort Worth, and it kind of kind of kills all that momentum. And now the talking points are about things that aren't football and aren't aren't good stuff. And the same kind of thing kind of happened here, right? Where Texas State could have rode this way, they could have brought their quarterback back and a lot of the pieces back. And in the spring would have been about how do you get past eight wins? Can you compete for a Sun Belt championship? All all those kind of good talking points. And instead, it's going to be about this decision and the quarterback room and and what the expectations are and the, and the pressure. He put a big light on the program and on himself in a way that it didn't feel necessary. So I, I would consider this kind of like an unforced error. Uh, Mike, another question for me. Uh, today the ACC released the entire schedule, and in late September, SMU, a part of the ACC, is going to host Florida State, who, of course, is not happy that SMU is a part of the ACC. But what a moment, what a weekend that could be for the Mustangs. Yeah, absolutely wild, right? To think about SMU hosting Florida State in a, a conference game, and you know, I was born in 1985, and my uncles are are big college football fans. I had an uncle that, that ran track. My dad played played football at Texas, and so I kind of grew up. Grandfather uh, was on the staff there at, at UT, and so I grew up hearing about how great SMU was, but I, I didn't get to see any of it. By the time I was, you know, of age to be able to to follow football. You know, SMU wasn't the SMU that they talked about all the time. So I've never seen it, right? Like, I've never seen SMU at this level playing against these kind of teams and those kind of helmets 
and being considered what they're what they're about to jump back into. It's ironic that the thing that that got them the death penalty and got them out of that conversation, paying players, is the thing that's getting them back into these conversations, <laughs> like having the money uh, to to do all this stuff. And so it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, for what I do, it's great, right? Anytime another program kind of steps into a larger a larger light, that's good. That's good for what we do at Dave Campbell. So. Excited to see what SMU does. The Rhett Lashley's got it rolling, but they were 0-3 against Power 5 teams last year. So it is a real big step up. Going to have to see if they can compete uh, mostly in the trenches. You guys heard it from Mike Craven. SMU had a 40-year-long plan to uh, escape the death penalty by changing changing the whole rule structure, and they just did it with tentacles and and influence all that time. Uh, Laying in wait. Yeah, absolutely. Laying in wait. Um, Mike, so um, with SMU, in the ACC and the potential that it could fall apart, though, uh, do you feel like there's any nervousness there or that they feel like there'll always be some form of an ACC, just maybe not the one that they joined? Yeah, I think they went knowing it may not look exactly like it does right now in, in five or ten years, but the seat at that table is better than the seat at the table that they just left, right? I mean, like the ACC last year, the AAC, I, I, that's going to confuse me forever. The AAC, uh, not very good, really. You take away Houston, um, you know, you take away Cincinnati, some, some of those teams, like they just, they just did not have the star power last year. You want to be, you know, with Boston College and Louisville and Clemson and some of those programs, if you can, North Carolina. Um, that, that's better than, you know, East Carolina, Tulsa, Tulane. And so it's all about the grouping that you're with, the perception of that, pro- that conference. And if you win with the 12-team playoff, if you win the ACC, no matter what the iteration is, if you win that conference, you're going to get in the playoff. That's not always true at the G5 level, right? So I think they had to do it. I think it was a smart move by them, but it's probably not going to be, you know, the third best conference in, in America, right? It's probably going to be, you know, the fourth after after everything settles and Florida State gets what they want. Mike, uh, did you hear what he said, Paul, that if you win the ACC, you're going to get into the college football playoff? <sighs> Well, now you will. Oh, and I, I know. I'm just that. that, that I you mean, just, you, you just got to be patient. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> way way back in December, December. of 2023, yeah. that was an, an impossibility, apparently. Yeah. Mike, we were so you. young and naive then. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff with what you do. Appreciate your time, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, the magazine, the site, TexasFootball.com, covers the hell out of high school football, but all college football also. The high school football, too, with us on 365 Sports. So that's uh, Mike Craven. So um, since we went on the air, there's the Texas State story. Since we went on the air, the ACC has released their schedule. Since we went on the air, Chris Marshall's committed to Boise State. Since we went on the air, who who committed to Alabama? Ryan Williams, the five-star mega stud at wide receiver. Anything else that happened since we started the show? That's pretty good. That's four chunks of stories. Paul Catalina and his top five. Coming up next. PettyClinicLowT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, need to be, and used to be. It is part of whatever your body is, and it happens. You may not even know it. It doesn't mean that you, like, all of a sudden, man, my testosterone, I needed to get lower. It can happen because of father time. And if it does, there are symptoms that you deal with. And Dr. Kent Petty will try to get rid of that by helping you increase your testosterone level. How does he do that? 
Contact him and his staff at pettycliniclowt.com. Phone number and email in the top left-hand corner. Tell them I sent you. They then will contact you. They will set you up to get your blood work. They take care of that appointment and that cost, and then they get the testosterone levels for you, the blood work. And if your testosterone level appears to be low or really low, Dr. Petty will offer you an option to get your testosterone level back to where it needs to be because it could affect your sex drive. It could affect your energy. It could affect your sleep habits. It could affect a lot of the way you feel. Dr. Kent Petty, Dr. Kent Petty, you want to be the man you used to be, need to be, and want to be at PettyClinicLowT.com. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has been proudly serving Texans across the state for over 60 years. Call 254-772-8090 to find an agent who will provide a free review of your auto, home, and life coverage. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Time for Paul Catalina's Top 5. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top 5 coaches on the hot seat in 2024. I like this uh, <laughs> logo that Emery came up with here. Uh, yesterday I mentioned the coaches that need a, a reboot, a refresh, uh, you know, just something, a new coat of paint. Nothing's tragic yet, but a, but a new coat of paint. Today, uh, these are coaches that are legitimately on the hot seat. Um, one of them, the fifth one, is going to be a bit of a stretch, but, but see if you guys can follow me here. Number 5 is Kirk Ferentz. I firmly believe that Iowa and this offensive coordinator hire that he makes, which he has not made yet, is going to be very huge for him because the whole world's about to change. His strategy worked for a long time, but you cannot just decide, well, as long as we beat Minnesota and maybe just lose to Wisconsin if they're good and beat these other teams in this side of the Big Ten and go you know, 10-2, and two, we're going to be fine. Uh, that's not going to be the case anymore because the style of offense they were playing is not a 10-2 and two style of offense in the new Big Ten. So this is a crucial moment for Kirk Ferentz, and I don't think he's ever going to get fired, but he might get the old, um, you know, coach, you've been here a long time. You know, there's a lot of – there's that fishing boat you don't get out on, on all that much. Why don't you, you finally do that and take your wife to Greece like she's been asking you for all this time? I think maybe that, that happens. They have a new athletic director there in Beth Getz who's been there, and she's been the interim, but also – you know, if she wants to keep that job long term, she's going to have to navigate this new Big Ten and win games. 
I don't think I could disagree more simply because he just won 10 games. Who Mm -hmm. in the hell are you bringing into Iowa that is going to win 10 games on a regular basis? And what are your expectations at Iowa? Are you hoping that you're going to be kings of the Big Ten one day? Or are you hoping that you're just going to get regular playoff spots? Guess what? If he wins 10 games, I don't know if that's going to be good enough for a playoff spot every year because what are all the other new schools doing? And what's Ohio State and Michigan are going to occupy two spots? And there's Penn State. So... I think there's a lot we don't know about this playoff and, and how it's going to affect teams. And that's what I mean. Like, if you win 10 games, but you're not getting into the playoff, like, how does that well, change my, my, views? My point here is I don't think he's going to win 10 games anymore. Okay, well, that's that's a fair enough yeah. point. But I think if, if you're Iowa, there, this man would have to do a lot worse than having a bad offense ran by his son to get uh, to get the old boot from Iowa City. I do think he'd be leaving on his terms. Now, maybe there'd be a nudge if over the next few years that starts to to creep down, but... I mean, this dude's won 10 games three times in the last six years at Iowa. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, I, and he's done more than that, too. Excuse me. I would give up a body part if my favorite team won <laughs> yeah. 10 games. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I like I get it. I'm not trying to knock that his coach, but like the way that the offense has devolved. You're looking at the trend of the future. Yeah, the trend I get of the that. future. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. But, like, man, they, they – yeah, they're in a conference. Yeah, they don't have to play Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State every year, and they're not going to have Washington, Oregon, USC, whatever. And there's going to be a couple of teams that are right below them that might get better. But, golly, I, I, be careful what you wish for. I know, I know. And, look, I, and like, I'm not saying he needs to, but I just think that it's going to be interesting to see him adapt. Yeah, in you the said new, this would be a little bit different. Maybe it would be different. Yeah. Like, this one, this one's a put line. The rest of the four, I'm probably not going to have to really go that deep in. But this one was the one I thought would spark a little discussion. And, I like, I'm not a guy who's, you know, has to be right all the time. I mean, hell, I'm married. Uh, so, right <laughs> anytime. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that, that yeah. the t- applying the term hot seat anywhere within 1,000 yards of Kirk Ferentz is – It might is, be a little yeah, bit over I, I think there's a different term you could use for yeah. it because I understand where you're coming from. But, yeah, I don't think he's on a yeah. hot seat I, by any any stretch. Yeah, yeah, I do think he he's in the adapt-or-die phase, though, Like, and, and he's on the early part of it. That'd because, be a good top five. Adapt-or-die, Dabo would be in that one. Yo, Dabo's certainly yeah. in that one. Uh, Manny Navarro, uh, by the way, wrote a great column today about the winners and losers in the ACC and the transfer portal. And his first line on Clemson is like, to win in it, you have to go to it. You have to go. If you're going to run, you got to go to the start and finish line, yeah. right? I mean, I know we, we all, like, joke on their offense and everything like that, but, you know, all you have to do is watch the other side of the football to understand yeah. how brilliant their, yeah. their, their defense no, is and why they're still able to win 10 games despite they have such an atrocious offense. And that's now but, seemingly been worked on and is going to be fixed, and we'll, we'll see. see. He, yeah. he hasn't made the hire yet. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I just think that because the schedule's going to get different. Sure like He's not going to yeah. get the, – the schedule was also kind of allowing him to do that for a long time. Yeah. Because he also had, like, look, P.J. Fleck is in the same boat. And, like, I might have maybe put him on here, too. P.J. Fleck's in the same boat. Like, can you do this same thing at Minnesota and expect to keep your job, even though you've been one of the better coaches they've ever had uh, in recent history? Like, can you continue to do that because there's no big – 10 west anymore you cannot play the same style at least completely you're gonna have to adapt on some on some levels yeah i think too with the big 10 i think their schedules get harder because i don't i don't know that that's exactly the case in the sec because they're only adding two teams but uh with the big 10 i feel like the way it was already set up with their divisions you were kind of there was teams that were missing out on a lot of the other good opponents and it's gonna be harder to dodge like the years where you don't play ohio state or michigan or you know like the fifth best team or whatever it just felt like uh, it felt how that works sometimes as you you got a good draw or a bad draw and you might miss out on some teams and i think with more quality opponents you might still miss some teams but you're gonna have other 
opportunities where you're playing a good team. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's yeah, why okay. I, that's why I think Kirk Ferentz is not going to say anything. And but all three of them. But right? no, that's why I think Kirk Ferentz is going to have to adapt because, yeah. again, it's not going to be that year like, oh, crap, we do have Ohio State and Michigan. All right, well, maybe that's a 9-3 and three or 8-4 and four year. But um, but this year we don't have either of them. So but this who year, they, they are, they could beat one of those three teams because of the fact that they're going to keep that game dummy. Now, some of them would just outrace them. Yeah, but like, offense. you know, with – look, with Oregon in particular coming I, in. you know, Iowa's 10-4. Like and four, but yeah. I, uh, but, yeah, I mean, like say, okay. like you can't – you're not going to dodge – Penn State, Michigan, Oregon, Washington, all in the same year. Like, it's they're coming at you. You know, like, it's coming at you. Number four, Sam Pittman in Arkansas. He's, you know, look, um, he, he's brought in <laughs> – he's brought in an, an old – Bobby Petrino is the offensive coordinator. Uh, Asked the last SEC coach who did that how that worked out for him. Now, I do think Sam Pittman will give him far more autonomy. And Sam Pittman – Loves Arkansas. He's an Arkansas alum. Like, this is his dream job. He's going to go out for it. But, you know, things are about to get more difficult in the SEC. And even though because of Texas and Oklahoma, that is not going to be met with grace from the boosters and alums. They're going to be like, okay, we can't sit around and let Texas – you know, go even further, especially the old school ones. The guys who are like the super old Arkansas money are probably excited about Texas coming back in and want to see some, you know, some comparison in that, even though they're so far apart right now. You mean like Texas joining the SEC is going to spark them to go back no, to the days of Frank Broyles? But no, what, I, what I'm saying is like, okay, Jerry right. Jones was uh, like, he's the big donor. And there's guys, there's other rich dudes that donate that are his age, right? That t- Arkansas or Texas was their biggest rival or the one they hated the most, even though it wasn't always the case with tech, but that was a huge deal for them back in that time. Texas coming back in, you know, we talk about A&M all the time, but I think there's some old, I'm talking old school money in Arkansas. That's going to be pissed that Texas is so far ahead of them right now. Yeah. And of course they played some non-conference games. Matt Jones, a quarterback had yeah. a game or two against him, but yeah, yeah, that's freaking a billion years ago. I yeah, mean, that's the is, thing is those, those old people he's referring to are like ninety five now. But so they're like, talking about like the, the I'm just talking about money. Sixty nine. Yeah. I mean, they got. I mean, here's the bottom line: you got to do something because yeah. you were fourteenth or you're thirteenth out of fourteenth. You're about mm-hmm. to be at best thirteenth out of sixteenth. I mean, or fourteenth out of sixteenth or whatever, because you're not going to be above Texas or Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, with divisionless football in play. Um, that's going to be, you know, fun to see, like, the top-to-bottom rankings where they are. But, yeah, they're very much in danger of being 15th, 16th. I mean, thank God for Vanderbilt, basically, if you're Arkansas, because other than them and Mississippi State last year, you were the worst team in the SEC. And there's not a lot of hope about what's going on moving forward either, I don't feel like. I mean, I think, yeah, Sam Pittman is very much on the hot seat, and they're already falling behind. And now you've got two – uh, especially one, uh, old rivals rolling in that are going to be above you for starters. And so, yeah, I mean, what what do you want Arkansas to be if you're an Arkansas fan? Are, everything's you, compounding. Yeah, I mean, they're just New falling and further and, and further down the, the slide, and there's not anything that's really propping them up at this point. So, yeah, he's he's got to get to winning, and he's got to, you know, get some things moving in the right direction because, uh, you know, last year if they had made the decision to move on, I don't think anybody would have been surprised. But mm-hmm. now especially, like, dude, it's now or it's never because mm-hmm. Arkansas is fading and they need to get a spark back. Yeah. Number three, Dave Aranda right here at Baylor. Uh, look, it's it's no question. I mean, he sat right here and he, he knows that, like, this is a make or break year uh, for him at Baylor because they've changed the NIL strategy. He's changed the entire offensive staff more or less. Uh, all that, you know, he's taken over defensive play calling. These are all moves – 
the signal. It is make or break for Dave Aranda Baylor. We don't probably need to go in as much detail on it, on this one because we have, and we have breaking news, uh, too, about Jim Harbaugh is going to the Chargers. And so I want to talk about that before the end of the show. Okay. So uh, we can maybe shorten this on Dave Aranda, but he's certainly on uh, on that spot. We have discussed this ad nauseum. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's you're reaching the point of apathy in some cases. Uh, definitely have already hit the frustration levels, and uh, folks just want to see a product that's competitive, and you know they want to see wins. And I don't think it's demanding twelve wins a year or anything. But when you followed up what was the greatest year in program history, that's great. But rather than building off of that, that's not your life jacket. It's not something we look back on fondly. We're like, oh, that's why you still have the job at this point, basically. Because other than that year, which was the outlier, it's been bad. Yeah, It's been three years of not good. So this is year five. I mean, I, I like Dave Aranda a lot. But, I mean, this is the reality of the business. And I know he wants to do it the right way. But you still have to win. And, and that's... You know, unfortunate in some cases when you're trying to mold men, but that is the bottom line. That is what puts butts in the seats, not degrees and things like that. And so he's doing the off the field the right way. He's done the on the field a little bit of the right way. But now it's been a couple years since that's even looked like it's even known what it was doing exactly. And so, yeah, you've got to get it in order this season. Number two. Chip Kelly, and this is, this might be solved in a week anyway. If he's up for, if he's going to go take an OC job, then UCLA, um, you know, that's a whole new can of worms. But he certainly uh, barely made it out with his life this year and has, you know, kind of crossed people a little bit the wrong way. And, you know, he, he had the great, you know, talk about, you know, how he thinks college football should be. But that also sounds like a guy who might be over it himself. And going back to the NFL as an OC, a way easier job to be in a uh, college head coach uh, my personality and just the way I am as I get older I would much rather be in the NFL than college football as a coach I, I'm not even a question in my mind yeah. I mean, not even a question drafting and and- versus recruiting uh, ding NFL um, I mean just in terms of playing the best of the best every single week if that's what's up your like whatever your flavor is unless you just Hell, really like recruiting the hours are the hours incredibly better and, the off season and- I mean everything other than if you are just you love the game of college football, I don't know what a single thing is other than pride in your alma mater and those types of things that would sway you yeah. versus the and, NFL. Well, and, and look, here's the deal. There's only those 32 NFL jobs right. in, in, in any position, right, whether it's head coach on down to whatever coach you are. But um, that's the thing is, is that being an NFL coach is not an easy job. No. Like, it's a really hard job. But comparing it to college football, it's like a way easier job it's insane. Like, and it's not an easy job. Number one, Billy Napier. Um, he just, I thought this was a great hire by Florida, and I, I'm, I'm still not uh, convinced that it's not, but uh, he's going to have to win and do something fast because the first two seasons for him have been, they've shown no growth at all. Like, he went six and six and then five and seven. Uh, lost in a bowl game, like he's got a losing record there. They don't look any different. They don't like seem to have any big time recruiting prospects and all of that. It's just, it's just there, and they're in the SEC. They're a brand name. Like you can't just be kind of there if you're the Florida Gators. Yeah, I mean Scott Strickland said he's not on the hot seat, and um, I've seen people point out that he's still. Uh, if he's on the hot seat, then where's Shane Beamer because they've beaten. Yeah. Uh, that's the team he's been able to beat both years, but. Uh, yeah, he's he seems to be just kind of in a – maybe it's not even him so much as Florida just seems like they're in a weird place where they're just kind of in a a middle ground. of They're not 
good like you'd expect them to be on a more regular basis or and clearly not anywhere near where they were in, in some of their more glorious years recently. They're also not like a terrible football team. Like it's an easy choice to just throw him out and be like, yeah, we're done. We're moving on. He's just in the middle, and that's yeah. a bad spot to be in mm-hmm. as well. And so, yeah, I think that you've got to at least see some signs of progress. Like you don't exp- – I mean, you can't go win the SEC East anymore. But, yeah, you should be competitive. You should show some signs of progress. And if you're just kind of still in the same spot you were a couple of years ago, then that would be awfully concerning and a huge red flag and, and maybe prompt them to make a move. But Scott Strickland says he's not on the hot seat. You know, a, a bad season can change that in a hurry. And they have the, and they have the toughest schedule that, yeah. that like, it, honestly – uh, if I had like twenty-two year old me had sat in a lab and gone screw Florida and made a schedule, that's the one I would have come up right, with. Yeah, yeah. Scott Strickland <laughs> is is a good AD and is uh, he's in but charge. Just kind of there, but yeah. He's not the only one that would make that decision if no. things don't go well but, quickly. Yeah. All right, but yes, it's official. Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. He is going to the Chargers. This is a surprise to no one, but except like Michigan Mike who. Thought he would never leave, but yeah, there is no one is a surprise. Well, I mean, I think it's a great hire by the Chargers. They've got Justin Herbert, they've got Rashawn Slater, they've got uh, Joey Bosa. They they've got things built. This is the smartest one he could have gone to of all the available ones. I think they're going to hit the ground win- winning. He won a national Running. title. Some coaches win multiple. It took a big, long, methodical process to get to the point where they could even beat Ohio State. They have won that battle recently, three years, national title. I mean, uh, going to go back to Michigan and go like 9-3 and three and everyone's pissed off. Uh, he, this is a good move for him. The timing is perfect, and he was really good in the NFL with the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that's out there for him to do as a coach and pair that and be one of those few guys like a Pete Carroll or a Jimmy Johnson that have won both titles. Uh, it's a very small select group, I would think that might be a goal of his I think certainly winning the Super Bowl clearly is that that's that's why he's going back to the NFL in part but yeah I mean this makes sense and uh, I saw a lot of Michigan fans trying to rationalize why he'd come back and I just saw no reason whatsoever for him to do that other than just like we were talking about earlier with coaches who choose to be in college like you just you like you like the game better you love recruiting you you like the things that maybe would be annoyances to others maybe would be stresses to others you you enjoy that um, but he didn't really strike me as that type of a guy. I think he loves football, but I don't think he necessarily wants to put up with NCAA violations and having to bend the rules and, you know, jumping through all those hoops. And uh, the Ohio State thing, you know, you end on a streak of wins against them and with the national title and the Big Ten title. I mean, how much better is it going to get? You come back next year, like you said, you lose to Ohio State, and then it's right back to, well, you lost to Ohio State. I mean, that every year has got to be – as stressful as it gets at one of those, you know, at a big time school like that. So yeah, yeah I if think you lose the Chiefs two or three years in a row. No yeah, one's going mean, to like lose your mind. No, I mean, and, and you can it, lose though. games in, in the NFL and be okay. You can lose multiple games in the NFL, and it's not a big deal because that's what everybody does. Whereas in college, you lose one, and it's a freakout if it's against the wrong team. So yeah, I mean, you had the best season you could have imagined. Uh, you got your alma mater and Natty. You've beaten your rival uh, now a few years in a row, and uh, I don't know what's left there for you to do. So yeah, I think it's it's smart for him to move on. And, and L.A. is a, a great landing spot as well. I, uh, I Not a surprise, but Michigan fans were probably like, yeah, because they finally have their guy, you know, the one that took them to the level that had been a while. And uh, well, good you want to see him build on that and yeah. go win another natty and then go win five in the next ten years. And, you know, there and are course. no more Bobby Bowden's, Tom Osborne's, and uh, well, even you could say Saban was 17, but that was half of what those other guys did. 
as far as the commitment and the success. I don't know. We'll see where Kirby Smart is in a few years and, and guys like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think there's still going to be those types of figures that are around. Uh, but the old guard is certainly gone now with Saban out the door and – for Harbaugh, I just I didn't never consider him to be a guy who's going to be at Michigan for thirty years and win. <laughs> he he took he... NFL interviews every oh, year, yeah, the exactly. last four years. Exactly. I want to clarify something. I said half the success they didn't have half the success that he that he had as far as Saban compared to Bowden, Osborne, and all those other guys. No, but like that, like it's it is Jim Harbaugh and like all the NCAA stuff that's going on. This is the best for everybody involved. Jim Harbaugh gets to go. Run and win a Super Bowl. Michigan's still the national title. The NCAA may still come for Michigan in some regard, but the fact that he's not there means that it's probably going to, you know, be more of a mosquito bite, yep. you know, than, than anything else. And it might have been anyway. Unless they put Mike Boynton in Oklahoma State on another two or three. Years <laughs> but like that. How, how hard is Connor Stallions crying right now? <laughs> yeah. He'll be on that staff. He's probably LA. crying tears of joy. They won a natty, so all of it was worth it in the end. Yeah. And he can be the, you know, the, the pariah or whatever. Love but a statue can, of him. He can, he can uh, write a manifesto about the Chargers now. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, I, I like. Look, it you works know, out for everybody. everybody they play. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's it, it works out for everybody. Sharon Moore is probably going to be the head coach, although it wouldn't surprise me to see Michigan kick the tires on maybe some bigger names. But I don't think they can. I, I think they've got to give it to Sharon. I think first of all, he earned, earned it. it. Yeah, he's because earned of it. what he did. Now again, Michigan was led by Harbaugh, but I think Sharon Moore, uh, with what he did, earned it. And yeah. and uh, and and I. It's kind of late. You could always find somebody else because then they'll start that domino effect again of the coaches. Well, and keeping, if you elevate Sharon more, you keep a lot of guys out of the portal. Well, here's the thing. They got 30 days now, Michigan players. So they're like, yeah. I mean, for what it was a quiet coaching carousel pre-Christmas, uh, post-New Year's, it has been wild and, and crazy with Washington, Alabama, Michigan. Who am I missing? Um Washington, Alabama, oh. Michigan, is that basically it? Arizona. 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 Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, state, yeah, but, yeah, it's gotten wild um, here late. And so, yeah, now Michigan players are in the portal for the next month. I do think retaining Sharon Moore would probably cut a lot of that off of the pass. But also, what do you do if you're some of these schools that are scrambling? That's why you leave some spots open, right? For Because all of a sudden these Michigan guys are available. So, I would imagine that tomorrow we'll start to see Texas and uh, – Alabama and Ohio State are all the top Georgia. targets for the Michigan so-and-so yeah. because that's kind of the way it's been the last month with these other stories, and, and I would imagine it'll be the same there because there will be a lot of talented players suddenly available. But, yeah, it's a bombshell, and yet not all that surprising that Harbaugh is officially leaving Michigan. So there you go. And Texas plays Michigan next year in a non-conference game, and now they'll no longer have Harbaugh running the ship, but they'll still be pretty good, but not not who they were this year. They were a dominant team this year. Thanks to everybody. Those of you who watch us or listen to us, Sikkim 365 app right here on 365 Sports. Our sponsors, of course, that allow us to be here in this great studio every single day and do what we do. Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter, Garrett Ross, and of course you in the chat room as well that always keep things a little bit interesting to say the least. I'm David Smoke for Paul Catalina and Craig Smoke. Tonight on 365 Sports, tonight, 1030 on the local CW. Hit the like button if you haven't. Appreciate that. And also subscribe if you haven't either. Good night.